Blog Talk Radio. better team now than we were then. I'm not looking at just this year, I'm looking at the next four years. You're listening to The Net Line with Barney. You didn't win, so you must not have done a good job. And DJ Ruscha. I have a great size. It's The Net Live right now. It's The Net Live right now, barely. Barely. It's on me, DJ Ruscha. It's on me. I'll take, I'll take the hit right now. Trust me. The listeners know. Technology just getting into Jeremy's hands, and we just get on the air. But that's what it's like, you know, when you've got a performer like DJ Roche, you feel confident in the fact you can throw just about anything at him, and he will deliver. Look, you're all in black today. You're all murdered out. Come on, the Clips won. What's up? Going to the gym after this. Got to get in beast mode. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that what the kids call it? Beast mode? Beast mode, yeah. yeah. Ever since Marshawn Lynch. Uh, I think they hope that people will throw Skittles at them, too, and maybe that's why they tell mom and dad they're in beast mode, because then they get Skittles. Mm-hmm. I know my boys would say anything for Skittles. We're glad you're here on the show. Thanks for tuning in. We have a fun show planned for you today. Here on the Net Live, we have in studio with us on the show, female voice, Katie Charles, current volleyball mercenary. <laughs> Formerly of Kenyon College, not in Uganda, and now here in the Net Live. Thanks mm-hmm. for joining us, Katie. Good morning. Are you impressed with our live studio audience applauding you? Very much so. Yeah, they're excited. Uh, they're also excited about College Volleyball Weekly. Katie will be here the entire show, but College Volleyball Weekly with Jay and Robbie, they will check in. Also, I think we just had a big signing here for the Net Live sitting volleyball team. Uh-oh. We just signed Don Sujo. Uh, we're going to have him on here live press conference announcing his signing. He's um, going to call in here in about 15 minutes. I'm going to want to see his contract to make sure that uh, both of our incentives are the same. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy, your contract is signed. Uh, that, uh, that blood has dried okay. on that contract there. So you know. Remember the old John Lovitz on SNL? No. He, uh, he was in the people's court. They did a people's court thing, and he was Mephistopheles, the devil. And he was defending himself in people's court because a guy was suing to get out of his contract that had nice. been signed in blood. Nice. <laughs> Jim- Phil Hartman as the judge, as Wapner. See, younger kids won't get this, though. They won't understand. This I was it. never a Saturday Night Live person, so I don't feel bad. It's just like the reference that I dropped this week in relation to Brad Keller yesterday. <laughs> we had Brad Keller again. It was USC-UCLA. And when it came time to tell a story about Brad, I said, actually, you're looking at Brad Keller, assistant coach for UCLA. They're in the wheelchair. And there was some uncertainty as to whether Brad Keller would be with the Bruins this year. He had a very lucrative offer to be a first mate on a shrimping boat down in Louisiana, but he decided against that, decided to stay with UCLA Volleyball. He was going to become Bubba? No, he was Lieutenant Dan. Oh, he was Lieutenant Dan. Lieutenant Dan! Nice. So, not as, not as good as maybe doing a, a freestyle motocross backflip. Oh, that's a drink. Or a double backflip in his floor routine from his amateur gymnastic days. Or breaking both ankles because he was landing point-break style, having jumped out of a plane with no yep. parachute. Yep, that's my favorite story. Yeah. 
All those relating to Brad Keller, none of it true. Not a single one. Sad, pathetic, lame, jumping rope, broke both feet. You know? Oh, the jumping rope story was, is true. I thought that that's was, true. I thought that was the joke. I thought that was a joke, too. No, that's 100% true. I think Kevin's really just helping him out, giving him something he can tell people now. Yeah, no Better doubt. Story. He said the docs don't believe him. He was literally jumping rope. Doing double unders. Okay. Landed right before Christmas. Yeah. He's doing like a CrossFit type circuit. Double under, double under, double under, double under, double under. Land. Oh, both feet fit on the same landing. Did he jump off of something like <laughs> like a tall building? Yeah, okay. was there a distance from like was he on like on a block? That was story number one. He jumped out of the third floor of a burning building with a litter of kittens in one arm and a baby in the yeah, other. Yeah, obviously, that's where I'm going with my story. Yeah, no, he was just jumping rope on the ground, both feet busted, seven <laughs> screws and a plate in one foot and a broken uh, whatever section of his foot on the other side, right before the toes. Nasty looking fractures. He's got pictures up on Facebook. They're they're not nice. They're right up there with my uh, my collarbone that we posted years ago. And Reed's broken face? Reed's broken face. That's right. Phantom of the outside hitter. Yeah. Yeah. Oral yeah. bone, like, shifted in his face. It was good times. Yeah, some people forget that Reed Pretty's career was in jeopardy thanks to Max Holt. Not intentionally thanks to Max Holt, but it did happen thanks to the elbow of Max Holt. If Reed wouldn't have been able to play again, would Max, like, have to come over once a week and, like bathe read and like food and drive his car like you know what i'm saying like would he have to like because he felt would feel bad about like isn't there some like there's like some something that he has to do for the rest of reed's life if that would have happened <laughs> i'm not sure bathing reed for the rest of his life is what he'd want well if reed can't see how's he gonna know where the soap is <laughs> oh jeez just paint an awful picture of a couple of large muscular mammals in a bathroom together you're welcome everybody but it's uh <laughs> It's uh, it's not a bad subject for today because big news yesterday, Jeremy. What happened yesterday? First openly gay potential NFL draft pick out of Mizzou. <laughs> was that a two men in the shower with soap segue, Kevin? I don't know. They were naked. They're not necessarily right now? into each other, but they were there. Oh, boy. It is Monday. They were there. But, uh, what do you, I mean, this is an interesting thing to me because if you're a volleyball player, if you're a male athlete in the sport of volleyball, uh, being around folks that are gay, gentlemen that are gay, or women that are lesbian is not anything new at all. Well, the perception of a football locker room and a volleyball locker room, I'm going to assume, are a little bit different. Hey, an athlete's an athlete. The only difference is that you haven't had an openly gay group of people in the locker room for a long time. The game and, and what the game does, it doesn't matter if you're gay, your ability to play football, I your ability to be in a locker room is no different from sport to sport. The football locker room is no different than the hockey locker room, volleyball locker room, whatever. All the people are the same. And one of the ways you discover this is Mike Lambert and myself had the opportunity to go out and hang out with the Utah Jazz years ago. And what you find out is it's the same people talking about the same stuff they're the same age as you, except they have two more zeros at their paycheck that you don't have. That's all. That's the only difference in the athletes. But the locker rooms are the same. They always talk about a football locker room, a hockey locker room. Oh, it's so different. It's not different than some other professional sport. It might be different than real life, hence the Richie Cognito situation. It's different than real life. We talk about things and say things that you would never say if you were in some other public employ- employment setting. But comparative locker room to locker room. No different. What's a female locker room like? 
Katie Charles? Probably exactly like a male locker room. Really? Oh, for sure. Oh, man. No, there, I thought there was like pillow fights and like exactly. long talks Lots of about Andre. Yeah, what their boyfriends were doing the night before. Like I thought that's what the women's locker rooms were Maybe like. Maybe the conversations are slightly Am different. Am I wrong? But same kind of crap going on in there. No worries. That's funny. Like if you go on a long road trip... <laughs> if, you, if you're on a long road trip and, and you're not going to be around the rest of humanity for a little while, do things get ugly? The things that, that, that are being said, is it like stuff that you, you wouldn't want other folks to hear? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like how quickly? Yeah. And when we say other folks, that means you need to tell us. <laughs> <laughs> no one's listening right now. You're Can we fine. have an example, please? An example of... Like what we're talking about in the locker room? Something or? inappropriate that you remember. Hypothetically. That, that maybe at the moment you're like, really? This is, really? Well, every team every team has their naked person. Like the person who never has clothes on in the nice. locker room. Okay. Nice. Every team has one. We had one on our team. She was the one that refused to be wearing any form of clothing in the locker room ever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we I'm have gonna, a naked guy. I'm just going to air dry. I'm just going to air dry. Let me think if we have <laughs> a, a, a naked guy. Huh. Just a naked girl. Yeah, she's the one that was... She's taken off her practice jersey while we're walking down the hallway to the locker room. She's never wearing clothing in the locker room, ever. That's really funny. And does that become a problem for some of the other athletes? Usually throws off the freshmen, like, especially if it's an upperclassman. But oh, yeah, because freshmen they are just coming into it. They're like, oh, oh, she's naked. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that happens, by the way. Yep. I know your mom and dad shielded you. <laughs> but people, people born nude. No, no, if you know, born nude. That's interesting. The naked girl. We don't have the naked guy. I've never experienced the naked guy. Um, we're going to take a short break for a technical difficulty. We are? Yep. Okay. Then at live, right back. We, we don't have to worry about nothing. Because we got the fire.
can light it up, up, up. So they can put it out, out, out. We can light it up. And we're back here on the net live. If you're getting this via iTunes, you did not experience technical difficulty, but if you are listening live, I think you had some, and it should be solved now. That's that's not an us issue, by the way. Just this time, you might think that we have a bunch of crazy cables here, and we've hooked up stuff incorrectly. Something's wrong with the satellite that's on top of the home court, but that is not the case. Some sort of weird internet issue. So anyway, back here on the net live, Kevin Barnett along with Jeremy Roche, as usual, holding down the home court, and today with Katie Charles in studio. Katie, you're following Tom Fuhrer from last week, who gave us a lot of good info on TV, so you're going to need to provide a lot of good information on something. And I don't know if it's uh, East Africa or the middle of the United States. I'm not sure which. Oh, boy. Well, I'm out of the middle of America, so I'm happy about that. How was your jaunt to middle America? Um, after several feet of snow and negative 20 degree uh, weather the week before I left, I wasn't uh, feeling so bad about moving out here. Yeah, that was kind of a like, uh, you know, at first I was worried if moving to California was the right decision. And then after all the snow and negative degrees, I made the right choice. My wife says it's, it's enough talking about the weather here on the show. She said, if we get through the 15 minute weather report, then she's we over it. The program. That's funny. <laughs> it's kind of like rubbing it into people, though. Uh, most of the rest of the country is pretty much less than thrilled. I was taking pictures of the beach and posting them on Facebook nice. while everything was snowing in the Midwest and the East Coast. So. And he had the caption of suck it underneath, <laughs> underneath, underneath it. each picture. Getting, probably didn't. getting a lot of hate mail already. Yeah. Fine. Probably didn't go over very Be- well. Speaking of suck it, I've got a little item here up on the desk that I want you guys to see. Mm-hmm. This, is, uh, this is my own Rose Bowl brick right here. It's a legit brick, too. I am, I am a part of Rose Bowl history now, thanks to Fox Sports West and Prime Ticket. I am a part of the hundredth, the celebration of the hundredth Rose Bowl game. They are putting in this uh, million-dollar installation, a giant rose, to be outside Gate A at the Rose Bowl. Move your gorilla hands up. You can you can buy yourself a brick, and they will give you a commemorative brick that looks just like your brick that will be on display, be part of the rose outside of Gate A at the historic Rose Bowl, and you should do it. RoseBowlBricks.com. Go and check it out. You too can join me, Kevin Barnett, as a part of that. And so when the zombie apocalypse hits, your name will still forever be in the world. Even though most of us won't be, your name at least will be there. I'm happy for you, Kevin. Speaking of the zombie apocalypse. Oh, boy. Did you watch last night? No, I'm not caught up yet. What? You are caught up. No, only the... uh, I didn't tap it this season. Oh, spoiler alert on the show, Kevin. Jeez. No Walking Dead spoiler alerts on the Net Live today, please. No, on the Net Live or on the Facebook page. I'm really going to be out of it. I've never even seen an episode. Ooh, got a Katie. little, got a little background on Michonne, which I liked. <laughs> I'm learning a little bit about Michonne because I'm not. All right, here we go. I'm a nerd, but I am not to the point of reading the web comic books and or graphic novels. I am not. Only because you don't have time. Well, I don't have time, but also I don't want to. I really enjoy the TV show, and I don't want to ruin my TV show experience because I know everything that's coming up or the difference or oh, that's not right. I, I might read that stuff later, but I'm not going to go and 
read the book and then watch the movie. I don't want a Jurassic Park experience. Love Jurassic Park, the book. Unbelievable book. You can't put it down. Even today, if you're younger, you have not read Jurassic, go out, get a copy. I'm sorry. Get on your iPad, download a copy. Get on your Kindle, download it. Michael Crichton is the author. I know you folks don't read anymore, but Michael Crichton is the author of Jurassic Park. It is an unbelievable book. The second one, Lost World, still a pretty good book. Not quite as good, but Crichton is an incredible writer. Right up there with Dan Brown and uh, who's the other guy I'm trying to think of? Intensity. Dean Koontz. You like how we have uh, book reviews on the NetLive? <laughs> Dean Koontz. You've got to read some yeah. Dean Koontz. Uh-huh. But get out there and, uh, and read Jurassic Park. Kind of a cheesy movie. Great movie for its time. Unbelievable special effects. A little bit cheesy on the, the, the acting side of things. But unbelievable book. You need to get out and read that book. So I don't want my Walking Dead experience ruined because I read the book and I don't know, or I know what's coming on the TV show. But the book is probably better than the movie. It's a graphic novel. I don't know. It could be. Could that's, be. That's a different story, but the books are almost... It may different. be better, yeah. but it's not a movie. It's a TV show, so they're not fo- forced to condense everything. You know, you get, a, you get a great book that you read for a couple days or a week or whatever. You get really into it and the characters and all the description that's possible in a book. And then you get to the movie, and they have an hour and you know 35 minutes or two hours, 25 minutes to cram everything from the book into it. You just can't ever condense that story. Guard off on the message board said I watched The Serving Dead last night at Galen Center. <laughs> we'll get to that in a second because it was USC and UCLA. But I want to bring in a guy who, who uh, has been a part of that rivalry before. Jeremy, if you check out the, the the studio there, is he available? Who are we talking about? Oh yeah, there's like 900 numbers. Yeah, for his phone number. Yeah, that's him because he's he's using Skype. I I know I had to educate him about Skype, but. This guy, uh, he came over from Albania, moved to Boston, came out and played for USC back in the day, and he got his U.S. citizenship and joined the U.S. men's national team, Olympian in 2004, Don Sujo. Donald. Hello. Hello. Can we get a little volume Hello. Mr. Uh, Mr. Don? Yeah, Mr. Donald, Donald. Um, or Don P, as you said on the Today Show back in '04, as I recall, Don. Yeah, that sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> well, hey, Don, thanks for calling in. And, and first off, I want to know: is have you have we officially signed you for sitting volleyball at the end of May? You might as well. Might as well. All the tears in the, uh, just you know, taking a toll on you right now. So I'll stop. I'll stop. I'd love to I'd say love some to music, music whatever, 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 whatever. I can't believe you're still playing, first of all, because you're like 42 years old now. <laughs> I'm younger than you, Bunny. Okay, so maybe, you. maybe you're like 37, <laughs> Don. Come on now. Uh, yeah, you know, still playing, man. It's a passion, you know. It's, it's the love for the sport. It's the travel. It's, you know, all of the above, you know, like that keeps us going, you know. So it's... It's been a long time, you know, but it's, it's still fun, you know. I love competing, and, you know, being in Italy, it helps me a lot to, you know, be motivated and play at my best. So, in a way, I'm blessed, but, you know, just continue to, you know, play hard, train hard, and uh, maybe be a little bit smarter in terms of, you know, playing harder, you know. So, saving the knees. Yeah, saving the but knees is a very good idea. How about how about the Achilles? Yeah. That was the injury you suffered a couple of years ago. How are you feeling with that? Are you fully recovered, and does that ever bother you? Oh, 
Yes, you know, I fully recovered. You know, we did a great job at uh, the USA team with AB and uh, you know the doctors and the trainers and team. You know, so uh, I got after it. You know, with the therapy, and uh, since then I never had a problem. You know, just that over the years, you know, like the cartilage and the knees start hurting a bit, like everybody else. You know, I'm sure you can relate to that. But uh, you know, so far so good. You know, so far so good. And thank you for having me tonight in the show, by the way. Yeah, tonight, because you are over there playing in Italy right now, and you are playing in the regular Italian championship. Give us an update on your season and how it's going. Uh, the season uh, started really well. You know, we've been playing a ton of matches, playing for Trentino Volley, and uh, we played the Super Cup, Italian Super Cup, which are the two best teams from the previous year. We won that, which was a big achievement. And then we went to the World Club Championships in Brazil, we got third. Uh, unfortunately, we lost to the Russians in the semifinals. So that was a tough one. But then during the season, you know, we are third in the championship right now. We just qualified for the Italian Cup Final Four. We beat Modena at home. And, but, you know, unfortunately, just uh, last week, we lost our uh, two opposites. You know, our big guy, Sokolov, he pulled his calf muscle. He's out for one month. And our second opposite, the Hungarian hammer, he ruptured his Achilles yesterday in the match. So right now we have a very big problem. We, we don't have opposite. Well, so I guess you can give him but, some advice. I guess you can give him yeah, some advice yeah. on how to rehab that injury. That is a horrible injury. An ugly one, certainly for a, a hitter to come back from. That is a tell. But he's a young kid, you know. He's only 24, so I'm sure he's going to be okay, you know. But you got to stay after it, you know. You, gotta, you can't take a day off when you have an Achilles surgery or uh, recovery, you know. So... It's a tough one. It's a, it, it's a tough road, you know. But we lost him for the season, so, you know, now we've got to find a way how to play, you know, with different guys and uh, the whole team chemistry change, you know. So, yeah, we, and this Thursday we have uh, the Champions League, uh, you know, quarterfinal match against Belgrad. Um, you know, we are one match away from going to Final Four. But without our two opposites, I don't know where we're going to go, you know. Maybe we might play 6-2. What do you think, Barney, you know? I can hit. You know, I have a strong shoulder. Fresh. Uh, you, inside of every setter is a frustrated hitter. This is true. <laughs> just like, just yes, like inside sir. of every Italian volleyball athlete, there is a frustrated soccer player. It could have been soccer <laughs> star. <laughs> Definitely, you got that right. You you remember from playing here, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Well, don't, yeah. tell me. Tell me about living over there for so long and, and being a part of Italian culture. How's your Italian? You have to be completely fluent by this point, but uh, where are you going to settle down when you're done? You coming back to the States or any thought of maybe settling? I, you know, no, you know, like I live in L.A. You know, I live in Huntington Beach. That's where my house is, you know, and uh, that's what, where I'm going I'm to come back. I love that place. I, uh, I love Italy as well, you know. Uh, this is the greatest place for me as a person, as a volleyball player, to play volleyball and to live and to raise a family, you know. It has everything, you know, competition, nice gyms, great trainings, you know. They're very tactical and technical, so, you know, it beats the Russian League, you know, even though the Russian League has so much more money, you know, but, you know, it's here, like, you become a complete player, you know, and uh, it's fun to play every Sunday, you know, uh, difficult games, and the gyms are full, the gyms are warm, you know, and, uh, you know, you know, the Italian lifestyle is uh, awesome, you know, great food, great wine, so in a way, I've been very lucky to be here for some time, and my family really loves it, uh, we are very comfortable, we all speak fluently uh, Italian, 
it also helps that I'm from Europe, you know, from Albania, so I have a lot of family and friends nearby that I can go and visit. You know, Europe is nice in a way that every travel is so short. You can hop in a train or a, or a bus or a plane, you know, like in 40 minutes with 50 bucks, you can go to different countries. Where in the States, my family lives in Boston. To go there, it takes five and a half hours and probably like a thousand bucks. So it's a completely different lifestyle. I love them both. You know, I love the States. You know, that's where I'm going to be. But I will not mind living both in Italy and in America. That depends, you know, what kind of work or what kind of, you know, uh, what's going to happen after my career is done, you know. But right now, I don't know. I mean, the only thing I know is that I live in Huntington Beach and that's my um, headquarters for now. Hello? 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 We could be witnessing the culmination of someone's four years of hard work or huge disappointment at that moment, but that does not tarnish what they did for the previous four years. I think some of it has to do with the fact that we're 24 hour news cycles now and they have to fill time. Like when they followed Peyton Manning, um, OJ Simpson oh, style, God, he was like leaving uh, Indianapolis like in the dead of night. That was ESPN jumping the shark. I, I, I may disagree with that, but like that's their they have to fill space and they have all these ex athletes and some of them are probably thinking about their legacy so then you can talk about what Peyton Manning's legacy is. He won a Super Bowl, but not very many people can say that. And he's been to what four? This is his third. His third. So he's been to three. He won one. Their athletes play ten years, fifteen years, never go to the championship, can't even get there. I never played in a gold medal match. Me either. Never had an Olympic gold medal match. Two Olympics. Nine years. And what's your legacy, Kevin? <laughs> this show, apparently. Smoothie King, Moto. <laughs> what, else, what else we got? Well, and it's even how we talk about it now. If anybody watched the Slope Style the other night, they were interviewing Matt McMorris after Sean White pulled out the Canadian kid who was like 20, was the favorite. Well, he broke his rib 12 days ago. Oh. He was still doing runs. And he ended up finishing fourth, and every reporter was in his face saying, well, how disappointed are you, and how awful is this? He just competed for a gold medal. I'm yeah, I think he finished Olympian. third. Yeah. Yeah. With, with broken ribs. With broken ribs. Like, he should be disappointed that he only finished third or fourth with two broken ribs 12 days old, that he's still going down. And he had to take the semifinal run because he didn't qualify in the first heat. For the top of the group, so he I did six would runs. Still be laying in bed if my ribs were broken, much less going down a hill on a stick. <laughs> <laughs> well, considering how rough they were saying that slope style course was, I was pretty impressed. I mean, and how that's... fast they're going oh. too. I, I was watching slope style how fast last night. They're going. I was watching the women, and man, the the air, and of course the men go an amplitude above that, but the air is just sick. And yeah. and on TV, and, and slope style is no different than something like Moto or Next Games or whatever, if you go down and, and see it on TV is one thing. See it in the arena or next to the hill is another thing. To walk the course or slide down the course and see what they're really jumping Mm-mm. is something entirely different. It, it's, it's the difference between 
being on the opposite side of a fence with a large farm animal, be it a horse, <laughs> a cow, a bull, it doesn't matter. A large farm animal. If you were on the other side of a fence, there is a certain amount of comfort there that, oh, yeah, this is an animal, whatever. It's kind of big. This and that. When you are on the other side of the fence, and now the animal can get at you, <laughs> should it wish, different ball game. <laughs> it looks totally different. That is the biggest dog I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and I had this experience in Belgium because I'm not a horse guy. Horses freak me out. I'm not going to let you. I come home. I lived on a farm in Belgium. That was where I lived when I played for my professional team there. You see Kevin on a farm in Belgium? Nope. Like, were you, like, in the garden, you know, with the backhoe and stuff like that? Were you doing things like that? This is not uh, the Velveteen Rabbit no, okay. or Peter Rabbit or Just whatever. Curious. No. Uh, but, yes, it was an actual farm. They had a whole bunch of sheep. I mean, probably 30 sheep. They had a couple of geese out there. By the way, geese, mean as hell, don't ever feel bad about eating them or killing them. They had chickens with a goose that lived with the chickens, and that's a whole other story. Mm-hmm. They had a couple of horses, and it's, it's a working farm. It was a team doctor also, but it's a working farm where they, they have the animals. We had baby sheep in the springtime. Where were you playing? Belgium. Okay. Yeah, Mosaic. Why were you on a farm? Because that's where my apartment was. Okay. This was a, this was a house that had been built, I think it was the late 1800s, the original home was built. Then they had continued building, and it had like a square in the middle. Had a, a lot of cool stuff. Yeah. So it uh, yeah, overalls, yes, chat board. Texas Who's troll. troll? No, Barney yeah. wearing overalls. Thanks, troll. <laughs> and just overalls, by the way. No shirt underneath. <laughs> Heck just yeah. Overalls. Muscle overalls. Yeah. Do it right. Sweet. So so I'm on this working farm, and and one day I come home, and they're they're selling one of their horses. So I drive up down the street and park. My apartment's on the outer of the ring. I'm not really in the farm. I'm, I'm on the outer part of the building. So the farm is through the gate where I park and stuff. But I parked outside. And the horse is out on the street with the owner. And the people are inspecting it. Someone's on it. And I stood next to it. And I'm looking up going, looking this up thing's at the shoulder horse. is like my head. And I fed the horse and pet the horse and everything else, but now there's no no it's no barrier. No barrier. <laughs> the horse can kick me, the horse can run me over, and quite easily. It's just a whole different deal to see an animal that way. I don't know. I started horseback riding when I was two years old, so they don't really freak me out quite that much. But yeah, yeah. It's like my dad. He's six foot eight and all of it. And when the national team met him, they were blown away by how tall he was. I'm like. It's just my dad. I don't know. It looks like my dad. Like, yeah. They're like, that's a huge dude. I'm like, no, yeah, it's my dad. It's my dad. <laughs> but yeah, we, uh, we also had cows. We used to go out in the field with the cows. It was right across the street. Did you milk the cows? I, no, I did not milk the cows. But I, I did have an unfortunate incident. It may have told the story on this show before, but myself, Mike Seeley, setter at UCLA, national champion, a little time on the national team. He and I were on this team together that year. And he was over with, with our opposite, Walt Weissmans, who is still playing nowadays. He's actually, I think, in China this year, Walt Weissmans, but mm-hmm. played a long time in Italy and played for Cuneo and Macerata. I played with him in Macerata as well as Belgium. Walt was over, and we were sitting in the afternoon talking before a Champions League match. I'm leaning over the gate for the, the farm. So I'm over the gate, and Walt, who is about... 10 feet from me, picks up this handle across the gate from him and goes, oh, what's this? Picks it up, and it turns out it's the electric fence. Oh. And it's the release for the gate for the electric fence. So you would, you would pick it up, and it would, it would be a spring, and you'd take it back to the other side so you could open the gate and drive in or go out. And he picks it up, and I'm leaning with my elbows on the gate. 
as he picks it up, it touches the bottom of my hands, the heel of my hands. Their Great Dane, the team doctor, owners of the property, their Great Dane is leaning against me. Mike Seeley is petting the Great Dane on the head. (laughs) So Wout picks the thing up, hits my hands with it. I go, the the dog, a huge dog, takes off. Seeley had gotten it through the dog. So it went through my entire body, through the dog who flipped out, and Seeley, who now is like going, my head. And we've got to play a match in like four hours. <laughs> Nobody can feel their extremities. <laughs> so I've been hit by a horse fence thanks to volleyball. Wow. It was gnarly. I had to feed the dog an entire box of biscuits in order for it to come near me again. Yeah, because I thought it did something wrong because you sent... Mm, it- a hundred volts of electricity through that thing. A whole lot of electricity yeah. through the dog, and the dog blamed me. Turns out it was the Belgian opposite. Thanks, Wout. So, yeah. Large farm animals and adventures in overseas playing. That's really funny. Right. I just like the fact I'm trying to get the vision of you in overalls out of my head on a farm, but still amusing at the same time. We had a goose in the, the pen. I don't know if you know this. But geese are just downright mean. They are mean. As you quoted before, we should not feel bad about eating them or killing them. <laughs> no. They're the meanest animals on earth, a goose. Sheesh. They bite. Yeah. It hurts. <laughs> they, they used to bite the chicken. They used to whip the rooster. Because there was a rooster and a bunch of hens in the pen. And the goose would, as soon as we pull in, the goose would go crazy. The rooster would be crowing. And first of all, roosters don't know what time it is. That's a fallacy. <laughs> That's a fallacy. The whole rooster crowing at, at sunrise, bullcrap. Not true. The rooster crows at 3 a.m. Just... Dude, it's 3 in the morning. (laughs) Shut up. First of all, I still don't understand why you were on a farm. It was fun. No, no, I get it, but... I'll show you pictures sometimes. The joys of international volleyball. You live wherever they give you a spot. Yeah, but you're playing volleyball and your apartment's on a farm. Was like all farmland there? Like there was no like city? Did you play... It's not a city city. No, it's a town. I mean, we're surrounded by small farms. It's not like we think of farms in the Midwest. It's not these huge commercial farms. They're small farms. It's not ConAgra. No, it's not Monsanto, the devil. (laughs) You should see Monsanto, the movie, is what I hear. I've got to watch it. Or read the book. Monsanto, not sponsoring the program. (laughs) (laughs) Suck it. Same, neither a Smoothie King. Suck it, Monsanto. (laughs) I I would gladly go to a Smoothie King before I would do anything associated with Monsanto. But wait a minute. I bought a box of cereal. It's probably Monsanto. Speaking of Smoothie King, I'm sure you heard. Oh. What arena is it that... Pelicans. Yeah. New Orleans. Yep. Never going. Smoothie King Arena. I will not go into that arena. <laughs> if I'm in that city, I will egg the building. <laughs> or will you buy New Smoothie Orleans Kings and throw Smoothie Kings at the building? That's a better idea. But then you're giving your money to Smoothie King and then throwing it away. I will figure out a way to get a free Smoothie King. Nice. A sample, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I will throw it. I still want to throw one back across the counter. <laughs> I still want to take one and just whip it back in the store. And give every employee in there 100 bucks. Be like, I apologize in advance. But you're going to make me a smoothie. I'm just going to whip it right back at you. I want to stand outside. This is not good for you. <laughs> this is not health food. And this is what I think about it. And then just <laughs> coming in hot over the counter. Extra large, 64 ounces of sticky, gooey, sugary nonsense. Ugh. 
Smoothie King. First of all, they're called the Pelicans. I know. And now they're the Smoothie King Arena or whatever they're going to call it. Can we cut New Orleans a break? I mean... No. No. Not when you name your team the Pelicans. Well, you were fine. I'm fine with Pelicans. They should get Jazz back is what they should get, but... Yeah. Yeah. Seems more appropriate. Yeah, there. but... But, you know. Utah... You're going to give Dodgers back to Brooklyn, too? New Orleans, they have their real name. The Dodgers is a real name from Brooklyn, not from L.A. Makes no sense in L.A. As much sense as New Orleans. Do you know or why they were called the Dodgers? Utah Jazz makes... There's no jazz going on. There's no soul there. <laughs> I think I missed this. Why weren't they the Hornets? The New Orleans Hornets? Yes. And well, it was Charlotte. And they went to Charlotte. Oh, right. No, they were Charlotte. Yeah, they were the, the Charlotte, Charlotte Hornets, Hornets. Yeah. That moved to New Orleans. Correct. New Orleans used to have the jazz, but the jazz moved to Utah years ago. Then you had to get the Charlotte Bobcats, an expansion franchise, to replace the formerly Charlotte Hornets. Well, it's also like the Lakers. Right. Minnesota. Yeah. yeah. There's no lakes here. No. It's like naming your, uh, your subdivision that you're developing Wolf Hills. First of all, it's flat. Secondly, there's no wolves. <laughs> First of all, it's flat. <laughs> you have no hills anywhere. Oak Trail. Like, there's no oaks here. And there's no trails. There's streets and sidewalks and protected left turns. It's Orange County. Also known as the Orange Curtain. Don't go behind the Orange Curtain. It's stupid. <laughs> And don't listen to the show. I don't even know where we're going here. We're going to... Who cares? Oh, my God. Read the Peyton Manning article, will you? Because, uh, honestly, that's something about sports that matters. You've got to remember about sports and about life. It's not just about the championships, for crying out loud. It's about going and doing the best you can. And it's about giving everything you have every day. And, and whether you're the guy who sits the bench on your junior team right now, if you're a kid sitting on the bench... And you're not playing, but you're busting your butt in practice. You're doing the right thing. Or if you're the guy going to the Olympics or going to the Super Bowl and not winning, it doesn't matter. And I've been on both sides of the go to the Olympics equation. Go to the Olympics and suck. Done it. Go to the Olympics and be awesome. Done it. Second one was a lot more fun. (laughs) Believe me. Uh, But the, the first time was awful and ruined it for a long time because of that mentality, I think. There's, there's no perspective, and, and maybe that's good on the one hand for competition, but there's no perspective of, you went to the freaking Olympics. I hated my Olympic experience until I went to my second Olympics. You didn't win, so you must not have done a good job. <laughs> I don't even know who said that. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Uh, I was fortunate. I was working an event on Saturday, and they had uh, a guest speaker, and I can't remember her last name, but it was the, um, Diana. She was the one that swam from Cuba to Key West at the age of 60-something. I can't think of her last name off the top of my head right now. But she... Diana Nyad. Yes. She was talking about... Did not look that up. <laughs> yeah, nicely done by you. There's Matt, Matt Gardhoff. We'll get to that in a second. So she's talking about when she was trying to make the Olympics when she was younger. And her coach, before she goes, she's, doing the, she's at the trials, and her coach is like, what are you thinking about right now? And she's like, oh, that I need to do this, do that, blah, blah, blah. And her coach is like, no, I want you to think about your fingernail. She's like, how? She's like, look at your fingernail. How long does it take you to swim that distance? And she's like, you know, one hundredth of one hundredth of a second. And her coach is like, I want you to only focus on that and give this race. Don't look at any other. Don't look where any of the other swimmers are. Don't worry about your time. I want you to swim the best race you've ever swam in your life. And when you get to the end of the pool, when you're done, you look up and you put your arms in there and you just yell out loud, I gave it all I could give it. 
She jumps in the pool, does all that, gets the end, closes her eyes, yells as loud as she can. I did the best I could. Came in sixth, didn't make the Olympics. Mm. But didn't care because she knew she gave it her all. So when players who don't make the Super Bowl or their legacy is tainted because of that, if they gave it their all the whole time, who cares? Because they enjoyed the journey. Yeah, if you make the Super Bowl, first of all. Yeah. Even that's, if you that's don't. That's a nice legacy in and of itself. Yeah. Making the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Making the NFC Championship game. The Eagles got this grief for a long time. Making the NFL. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it, I, I see it both ways, though. I mean, as an athlete, I was never satisfied unless we won. And you have to have that in you. I mean, you have to keep driving for that. Because if you don't care, that's different. But later in life, and I've said this before on this program, and it's worth remembering, for, for a lot of people, for a lot of athletes, because athletics is so consuming, when that takes a backseat to something else, be it a death in the family, an illness in the family, having children, having other responsibilities, when that takes a backseat to something else, when your profession and your focus has to move back, that many times is good. And it's counterintuitive, but that's good for the athlete, for their sport, for their performance, to take the edge off the thing, to not live and die. I don't know if it was on this show or somewhere else that, that somebody said, I, I used to value myself by the wins and losses. Mm-hmm. And you have to get rid of that. You can't value yourself by the wins and losses because every time you lose, you're worthless. And that's not a great way to look, look at things and go through life. You have to have it just be what you do and you do your best. It doesn't take the importance off it or the effort out of it. If everyone was but doing a great job, then everyone would win the championship every year. I know, I know. <laughs> it's just absolutely a matter of perspective. Like, some people just get so used to winning. Like, the program I played for in college, we made the final four three out of my four years. Where did you play? Juniata College in Pennsylvania. And so you expect it? We expected it. And we had made the final four almost every My junior year, we were 38-0, playing for the NCAA quarterfinal, losing five at NYU. Ugh. Team hit negative. It was like the worst match we'd ever played all season. And we just fell apart. Next year, turned around, won national championship. Because we sat there and we're like, you know what? We made it to the final eight in the country. It's not the worst we could have done. Mm-hmm. I mean, we thought we were going to win a championship. The next year, we lost like three or four matches in the middle of the season. Like, weren't doing great. Turned around and you made a run at the championship. And, you know, you get so used to it. You get used to winning. Everybody expects it out of you. So when you finish less than first or second place, especially programs that have that history or athletes that play in programs that have that history, if you don't, you know, make it to the finals – People are like, oh, well, you had a terrible season. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, <laughs> some people on this show. Yeah, a couple of people on this show. It turns out only one team can win the finals. Yep. Yeah, one. That's it. Everybody else, you can have a good season and not win. Contrary to what was said there. <laughs> Boy, now as a coach, it makes this, when I'm with, working with a program that wasn't very good. Holy cow! Yeah, you what do you tell? Exactly how... You need some little victories, huh? Little and what victories. do you tell your athletes? Because you know, like, okay, we're not. You know going in, we're not that good. Yeah. I mean, so what, play. Well, so what do you tell them? You know, a lot of it is we look at, like, individual things, set small goals. You know, we're looking at hitting percentages. We're looking at things that we can control. Um, our athletes, like, the group that I just finished working with, when I got there six years ago, could not field a team for varsity competition. Withdrew mm. for a season, had nothing there. We started over, and it's a school with a really different – you know, it's expensive, it's hard to get into, it's in the middle of nowhere, and it's in a conference with no school like it. Well, and, you, and the school, too, kids aren't necessarily coming there for volleyball. Okay. They're going there for academics. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're there because 
they want to be doctors and lawyers. And They're smarter than all of us. Oh, yes. <laughs> combined. Huh? Very much so. What? All the kids on her volleyball team are smarter than the three of us in this room combined. You know what? I loved, I, you know, I coached in the Ivy League for a little while. I love working with the smart kids because they're going to make you a better coach. They ask you why constantly. They never just take anything. You can't just say it because I said so. Exactly. <laughs> just try I'm it. I'm the coach. Just do it. Sometimes you just want to be like, just do what I'm telling you to do and let it work. <laughs> but they have to have an answer to everything. So it's like dealing with my son. Interesting. Uh, yes. Dealing with my oldest, who's wicked smart. He's a pain in the ass. <laughs> He's also like 6'2 already. Yeah, 6'2", 2'14". Yeah. Runs a 4'4'40". <laughs> Yeah, 1700 says, you tell the athletes to get better. <laughs> no, it's, it's a tough line to ride because everybody wants to put everything into winning. And, and those quotes that, that we're so fond of playing here on the show really were me lamenting the lack of critical analysis to the game of volleyball. You don't need to justify your asinine comments, Kevin. No, I'm not. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I just want people to keep things in perspective. As a parent, Watching other parents, even just being involved with twelve and and uh, and ten year olds, or nearly twelve and ten year olds here in youth sports, and listening to some of the parents and the way they behave on the sidelines, just holy cow! I mean, people get in shouting matches with the refs. People, pa- parents, like, what are you doing? Life or death, bro. Well, Life the parents don't realize as they get farther along. Like, as a college coach, no college coach is going to take a kid whose parents are like that. Unless they are, like, the greatest thing that's ever happened. Because 90% of the time, the kid is like their parents. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or you're going to be dealing with those parents. You can't spend 90% of your time on one kid. You've got a team of, you know, at the college level, 18 to 20 kids. You've got to manage your time well. And, you, I mean, we pay attention to the little stuff when you're out recruiting. The college coaches sure do. The kids don't realize it when they're being brats or they're not paying attention to their coaches or they're yelling at their parents or their parents are nuts. They don't realize we're standing five feet away. It's not like we don't notice that. <laughs> It affects your ability to be recruited when you're being a jerk. Winning all the time is an unnatural situation for anyone. Except that's not not real life. Except Charlie Sheen. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Unless you're Charlie Sheen and you're a you're a god, you're a warlock. You you're gonna have some losses. And characterize those losses however you want, where we're talking about sport or business or life in general, you're gonna have some losses. And it's how do you cope with that situation when things aren't going well? And I remember me as a young man on the volleyball court, I did not cope with things not going well effectively for for myself and my teammates. My response was to try harder. That was always good. Yeah. To continue to work. But the rage that you would yell that, at your setter. Yeah, yell at the <laughs> setter and yell at other guys and yeah and, and yell at just at the world. I mean it's just none of that was any good. Um should we blame your parents? The, the effort was good, but the the way I went about it was not. And it yeah. took me a long time to realize that, and much longer than Doug Beale wanted it to take. <laughs> <laughs> but And trying to impart that to to young athletes is important. And to, to get them to behave in a certain way when they're losing. UCLA, for instance, on Wednesday goes and gets slaughtered. And yes, that's a good word to use for what they got at Pepperdine on Wednesday. At the hands of the waves. <laughs> because Bruins proud. can't surf. Did you know? <laughs> Bears, not so good on a surfboard. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, they got annihilated. As a team, they hit 110. Nobody hit above 200. Wow. They got outblocked 14 and a half to 5. So the question is, how do you respond to that? Well, they responded with a good win yesterday over SC. And they played well. And that's where... 
you start to see the coaching getting done. How do players respond to the match after such a terrible match and also during? That's when coaches learn something about their teams. Of course. Well, I remember people would talk about Misty, the rare times that her and Kerry would lose on the beach. Five minutes after the match, Misty's smiling and happy and would talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. And Kerry was not that way. And that was mm-hmm. a big difference in them. But I, Misty was somehow able to turn on a switch and be extremely competitive on the court. Because don't mistake that at all. She was extremely competitive and probably still is. But off the court, and I believe it probably had to do after her mom had passed, that she realized it wasn't winning the match wasn't life or death. Yeah. And she was still really good at volleyball. Right. Right. And, and that's tough to, for a young person who's so focused, who's so dedicated to a sport. And, and for me it was, I was coming from behind. I was constantly the guy who hadn't played enough, who didn't have enough skill, who's trying to overpower the game without technical proficiency um, and trying to catch up all that and play in the underdog role, even onto the national team. You know, C- feeling like I'd been C-ball, slighted. See ball, hit ball? Yeah, that, that was me. Me spike ball. <laughs> you need me hit ball? <laughs> I mean, that, that, that was all I did. Um, it, it took a long time to understand the game and teammates. Well, if you look at the sustained success of certain coaches, especially in the indoor game, if you look at the people that have been at the top, the Russ Roses, the yeah. Larry Bach, who's the winningest coach in the history of the sport, you know, these are coaches that, you know, Terry Clemens, who won 10 national titles with Wash U in Division Three. I mean, those coaches managed their athletes and imparted that. Like, they've, you know, if you look the way their, their athletes conduct themselves on the court, the way that they interact with people after the game, the way that they conduct themselves in front of interviews, like, that's something that they teach from top down. Well, I've been doing it for years, too. Like, these coaches have had to adapt because athletes today are different than they were 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Head coach at Oklahoma for basketball, the incident this this week. Oklahoma State. State. Oklahoma State. Yeah, with the the incident with the player Smart who uh, pushed a fan. Mm -hmm. And the fan may or may not have used a racial epithet. If he did, by the way, because they have him on film before, like giving the finger and making faces and stuff. Like and that, that guy way, needs to go. And that way, they're college kids. I just want to remind people that, like, when they're on the court, yeah, you can heckle people and make fun, but when it gets personal and you're, I don't know, it, just, it bothers me. It's a college kid. Well, it's not a professional. I'm a def- yeah, go ahead, Katie. I don't think we give the college kids enough credit for restraint either. Like, you're told oh, no doubt. I like, would have gone. You in the need to be able to be like, okay. Yeah. This I would have gone to the game many times away. before that. It's, there's a lot of of bad responses from people not being able to separate themselves. Like, you're an adult. You're over 18 years old. You should have been taught by now. Your coaches should have been able to manage you to a point where you're not going to run into the stands and beat up the guy that yells at you. I mean, that guy is clearly an idiot, idiot and there's a lot of wrong on both sides, but you also need to have the restraint not to go into the stands. Go for dude. 100%. That guy's an idiot to a whole other level, even for a fan. Right. Texas Tech superfan like Jeff Orr or something like that. They've written him up. They've the school has. They keep selling him tickets. So. Yeah. Well, he said he's voluntarily not coming to any more games this season. <laughs> no, nah, he's out. in my mind. He's out entirely because he's he's everything that's wrong with that attitude. He's he's the poster child now for the wrong type of fans. Correct. He's taking it too far. Creative, funny heckling from students is one thing. Yeah. And you hear it. We hear it at volleyball matches. I had friends that did it when I was in college. BYU. BYU. <laughs> There's some of the rudest folks, but if you're going to be rude to the parents of the opposing fans, that's not right. 
the kind of no, jeering of the athletes and, and making fun of their haircut or, or something like that or some inside information you know, like that's, that's okay in my mind. It's not really – you don't know the guy. He doesn't know you. You're not, you're not using racial epithets. You're not – there's a line there, right? It's gray, but there's a line. That guy oars way over the line. Correct. And now – and this is in no way, shape, or form condoning the kid – Getting up and shoving a fan in the stands. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, he was already in the stands. No, I know. And it was such probably such a split-second decision. But how was he not escorted out of the arena immediately? A, for his own safety. Yeah, I don't know how he got to hang around and have some other fan go by him after they, they rushed the court. Texas Tech did after they won That's that another game. thing, too, is he was still there when the, everybody oh, yeah. came. Like, yeah. Something bad could have happened yeah. easily. And there, there was reading an article about him breaking a chair and stuff. I was going, huh. Reminds me of me. <laughs> I have kick chairs. I put my foot through a chair in Poland. Mm-hmm. Sent me to the locker room. Thanks, Doug. Yeah. And you learned from that experience. I was in the locker room by myself, whipping my shoes all about. <laughs> Could have broken a few more things. <laughs> Might have happened. Yeah. Um, there's a guy you may know who's on the line right now. I think I saw him yesterday. Did you? Yeah, famous guy. We put him on. They had to font him so I knew his name. Uh, but where's Pretty? You promised me he'd be on the show today. Isn't it Ken Steffes? That was Ken Steffes. Read Pretty. How we doing, gentlemen, lady? How we doing? <laughs> Hello. We're trying to do a show here. Blog Talk's not cooperating, but we're we're efforting. We're we're keeping it through. What are you doing? How's your golf game this morning? Or do you actually play volleyball again? Today's a short game day, so uh, in the afternoon I go out and work on my short game. This morning had a workout. Uh, I spent a lot of the majority uh, of the morning uh, spanning with my family uh, the DVR, the security system DVR. Uh, we seem to have our, our, our little 4 by 25 foot strip of grass. Has, uh, you know, it's the neighborhood toilet. And um, I don't know, there's been an increased incident of, of some dog poop left by their owners. And uh, that on a numerous on numerous occasions has been very bad for our family. You know, if it's dark, somebody steps in it, and then they walk into the house. In fact, uh, one time Jordan Larson was staying with us, and uh, she had managed to do that and sort of track it all upstairs to where we almost replaced the entire second-level carpet. So, yeah, there was another big one today. It was from a big dog, and um, <laughs> we've got several screenshots it's pretty great. I should probably – I'll take a photo after we talk and, uh, and post it. It's pretty funny. We've got dogs and right. their owners at like photo. 6 in the morning. <laughs> so we're going to post a nice sign, and we're going to start posting photos of, do you know this person, reward <laughs> offered for – yeah, we're going after them. So. Yeah, if they're going to poop there, at least pick it up. Yeah, that's the thing. You know what I mean? It's like you – know, you know the ironic part is that we don't even own it, but we have to pay to maintain it. And so we're, we're literally one, one crap away from just filling it with gravel. <laughs> that was my morning. <laughs> oh, hey, by the way, I'm God. serious. I can't wait for Reed to send us a photo of poop. Thanks, Reed. <laughs> Looking forward to it. <sighs> yeah, it was good so, to see you last night, Kevin. That was, that was quite a match. You know, I, a different perspective for me, obviously, sitting in the stands, getting to see some, some volleyball, which was awesome. And, um, I, you know, I didn't know where to go. I didn't know there was other opportunities to find out what's going on in the game. But between games two and three, I had to use the uh, facilities. 
and in there, I swear, I mean, guys were breaking it down like crazy. The Hav was in there. Uh, you had about 10 other guys uh, talking about what went wrong and what SC needs to do. So I'm going to take that into my playing career. Whenever things get really bad, I'm just going to cruise into the bathroom and, and hear what the fans have to say. <laughs> With 10 of your closest friends? <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, let's go take a group poop and get, and get this ironed out. It was really funny. The Hav's classic oh. any, anyway, though. The Hav, yeah, the Hav. Nice. We're going to have the Hav in here one of these days. I've got his number. He won't remember that I talked to him twice about coming on the show, but he will probably still come on the show and sit in here and be hilarious. We've had him on the program once a while back. Jeremy, you and I uh, courtside at SC. I think we sat down with the Hav for a little while. I think you did. Um, I wasn't able to be oh, in that match. I think you recorded A couple it. Of years ago, yeah. maybe, Geeter, yep. with Geeter, perhaps. Yep. I don't remember. But uh, Geeter. Yeah. Now that would be something. I mean, Reed calling is remarkable. Geeter calling in would be mm-hmm. otherworldly almost. Uh, yeah, Reed. So you had an opportunity to check in with John Spraw yesterday. An opportunity to see your former and future teammate Micah Christensen. Uh, what else struck you about the match there, USC UCLA yesterday? Before we get to College Football Weekly. I think the the biggest thing uh, the biggest thing that was noticeable was the serving difference. UCLA and in, in typical John Spraw fashion, uh, every guy was a point scoring threat, and yeah. you could see that that was just a uh, just really wore on SC over time, and um, it, it almost affected their own serving. It seemed like they needed to press from the service line, and maybe um, you know just weren't in. You know, I don't, I don't see those teams enough to know if that was just a hot night for UCLA and, and not for SC, but uh, the serving oh, no. difference just uh, really set it apart. Yeah, that's basically how it goes. Best serving team in the MPSF is UCLA, and they were showing it last night, bringing heat from all around Jackson Bannel. Also, I like the jump serving finally from the big man, Robert Page. He was going jump float. Now he's going jump spin. That was effective. Also, their setter, Michael Beals, who I have a tendency maybe to call Mitchell Beal. <laughs> Doug Beal's son, who plays at Ohio State University, but Michael Beal's doing a good job stepping in at setter after a few matches for the injured Steve O'Dell. And then, of course, Gonzalo Quiroga, who, Reed, you will see on the national team, no doubt. He reminds me of you. When you watch Gonzalo play, do you see yourself at all? Uh, I didn't make that connection, but he definitely impressed me. Um, he, he looked fit. He looked, you know, there's some guys out there that are still growing into their bodies. He seemed to be fairly developed, um, good ball control. Wait a and, second. Uh, did, I, did I just hear that? Just let it, I just compared, let it go. compared him to you, and you, you thought, yeah, he looks fit. He looks awesome. Are, are, his short, I'm sure his short game is awesome. He's probably a good golfer. <laughs> yeah. He might, may or may not have a poo problem with the uh, the grass out in front of his fraternity. Yeah, no, I know. The way I started that was that you made that analysis. I did not see that connection or make that connection, but I did notice him as a player and thought he was very impressive. And uh, He def- certainly uh, just displayed a, a lot of body control, which you don't necessarily get at the uh, – at the college level, you know, guys just still growing into their bodies. And so, um, you know, I also thought Tanner Jensen stood out to me. He reminded me sort of how he carried himself like a Brooke Billings meets uh, Tony Chiarelli. Um, you know, both guys that have played at SC. And uh, he can certainly, I, I'm curious to see, I, I haven't seen 
um, where he fits into the pipeline of USA Volleyball on uh, junior teams, et cetera. But, you know, now that I get a chance to finally get exposed to these guys at younger ages, it'll be fun to see who's sort of in the gym and make those connections. Yeah, nearly a fight between uh, Trent Kirsten and Tanner Jansen at one point, because Jansen reminded me of uh, another Trojan. We're getting a lot of Trojan mentions in here today, by the way. Brooke Billings, that's three mentions for Brooke Billings, maybe four. Mm-hmm. We had Don Sujo calling in earlier until we lost him, and, and now we're talking about more Trojans. But Gabe Gardner, perhaps the single most dangerous outside hitter I ever played against in my international career, because he would come under the net 70% uh. of the time. And that's what Tanner Jansen was doing last night. He was coming under the net on free, several plays, and then he went completely under the net, and Kirsten gave him a little elbow to the back. Nice. Well, he, he and things got heated. Kiroga on the way under. That was what yeah, started he, it. And then he Kirsten got stuffed came by Kiroga. Yeah. yeah, he First and then had I've some contact. Double red cards in a volleyball match. Really? Yep, double red cards. They shoot no ejections, but red cards. And that would we be went a little bit eight, eight somebody kept coming underneath, because if you hurt me, I'm going to be very upset. If I hurt myself, that's my fault. But if you hurt me, I'm going to be really upset. Yeah, I used to get real angry with the goose. People were not happy with the goose. <laughs> and opponents of ours were not happy with the goose at all, ever, when it came to that stuff. Yeah, not at all. He, he actually took me out two weeks before my first Olympic Games. Um, yeah. Thankfully, we had a great medical staff. But, uh, but, yeah, I know how that goes. You know, it's one of those things that's weird. You know, you have this – you're going all out jumping as high as you can, trying to hit as hard as you can, yet there's this barrier. And I think, I think that's what makes volleyball so special is it's sort of this dynamic under-restraint skill. And when you get those guys that don't turn the brakes on or don't respect that barrier, um, then, then there should be issues, you know what I mean? And you shouldn't it, – it's one of those things where it's like the guy who retaliates is the guy that you notice. So, you know, I didn't see that incident last night. I was probably already on the five, but um, the, you know, I don't know. The guy comes under, especially like I did see him early on, and, you know, Murillo will do that sometimes. Uh, There's certain guys that will just hammer a ball, and it's not good enough. They'll come under the net and sort of give like a little half-second pause stare. Yeah. Under those opportunities, (laughs) I I feel like that should be a free shot. You know what I mean? It's kind of like – Like you should be allowed to punch a guy. Yeah, yeah. Well, just a little body check. I think that that's fair game. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you come out of the, I thought check. Trent Kirsten could give it to him. It's like the goalie yeah. in hockey. You get in my little circle. I'm allowed to beat yeah. you. Yeah. If, if Marillo, yeah. exactly. If comes that's under a on me, great comparison. Yeah, I will put Marillo in a headlock. <laughs> no problem. What if you did? If the guy comes under, you literally just grab the dude and you're giving him like a noogie and stuff like that underneath. It wouldn't head. be a noogie. <laughs> <laughs> Rabbit punches oh, to the grill. <laughs> Nice. The NHL goalie thing that that you know it's like sacred yeah. space. That's a great analogy, and it doesn't even have to be the guy that gets you know checked under the net from from the attacker. It could be another player just you know saying, "Hey, this isn't your space." The water boy you know? should have a stick in his hand, and as soon as somebody comes to our net, he can throw it to you. He can just start billy clubbing that dude. Just get three good licks in, and then back to the match. <laughs> All right, yeah. we pretty th- thanks for calling in. We appreciate hearing from you, as always. Good to see you yesterday. We've got to take a quick break. We're going to be back with uh, College Volleyball Weekly here on the Net Live, and we'll have more discussions about violence in volleyball, I'm sure. It's <laughs> <laughs> a weird show. Uh, Man, thanks, Blog Talk. That was a weird bye. Bye, Reed. No, I'm ready then. He hates you. We let him talk. 
his shotgun, cock his back, shoot the sun until the sky is black. Now I sure hope that the sun got rid him, cause he gon' dance when that music hit him. Like bang, 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 darkness falls, in the nighttime I'm camouflaged. Magazine for their continued support of this program, and look forward to the Facebook page. We post stuff on there, the Net Live slash Facebook. Garthoff on fire today Facebook. with uh, com slash the Net Live actually Photoshop. Yeah, he's doing that, and Reed will be sending us apparently a picture of dog poop. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> Should be good. It's been a weird, weird show, and we appreciate you hanging in there to this point. I think we were talking about it. when when blog talk goes odd on us, things tend to go strangely here in the program, but we're going to get back to some solid volleyball coverage right now with our regular segment. And that's being an association with an association. I think it's called the CBW. The College Volleyball Weekly each week is a recap of what was and a look forward to what will be in the world of collegiate volleyball. It's brought to you by the American Volleyball Coaches Association as they continue to track both women's and men's, although my men's report is one page still. Kind of disappointed in that. Men's programs, pick it up. We're going to welcome in our regular experts, Jay Hasek of Penn State and Rob on the mic, Rob Asparrow from Irvine. 
Let's Good get morning, right gentlemen. into it here. Good morning, gentlemen. Let's uh, let's give you the the top ten just released, just sent to us by the ABCA. Loyola of Chicago is number one. Eleven first place votes. UCLA coming off that smashing by Pepperdine back on Wednesday, and we will spend at least <laughs> half the report talking about that. But Love that. Uh, Loyola does creep up to number one. But I gotta wonder, Jay Hosick. You know, Loyola goes out and beats Lewis three one. That's exciting. But then they apparently beat someone named Mackenzie, 3-0. I don't know if it was just one person, one girl on the other side of the court that they smashed or what. Well, first of all, it's not Mackenzie. It's McKendree, and it's a new <laughs> Division II program out of the St. Louis area. Uh, and we've been talking about it before. The largest amount of growth right now on the men's side is at the D2 side. And so they're a new program that's up and coming, and uh, they do have a female head coach. Uh, so you Whoa. were kind of right on that one. Uh, but, you know, they're, they're one of those teams that's like the Conference Carolinas. Over time, they're going to get better. More and more kids are going to hear about these schools, and the more that they play the big-name places, the more kids are going to hear their names, and the more kids are going to try to go there. So, hey, you know, they may have beaten them now, but you never know. In five to six, seven years, those teams will be beating some of the big Division One teams occasionally. Not all the time right now, but occasionally. In a decade, we might have them pick up a couple more sets. Is that what I just heard? Until then, it's going to be 3-0 quite a bit. Sheesh. Well, <laughs> and, and think about it like this. Cal Baptist, when they first started back in the mid-'90s or late-'90s or early-2000s, whenever it was, when I coached at UC Santa Cruz, we beat Cal Baptist. And so that just shows you the, the direction and the level of support that helped that program get better and better over the years. And, you know, they're struggling a little bit this year, I think, you know, because they've lost a couple of their outside hitters. But they were beating your guys at Pepperdine and some other teams like Long Beach and, and other schools pretty handily when they were, you know, at the top of their NAIA game. So, granted, there was a little bit more scholarship money offered at the time. But no-name schools can come up and they can beat the big boys just like the rest of once in a while. Speaking of UC Santa Cruz, they defeated Holy Names 3-0. They defeated uh, yep. Holy Names, and I think everyone on that other side of the court was named Jacob, Jesus, Paul. That was uh, <laughs> all the outside hitters for Holy Names, who now drops to 0-2. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right, Robbie. Yeah. The disciples yeah. lost out, huh? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I went to Pepperdine, you'd think I'd know some more Holy Names, but I've forgotten them all. <laughs> Oh, uh, Zinger. Joseph and Paul. I was going to go for a Zamora, but I wasn't sure. Oh, um, all right, let's get UC Irvine in on here. Robbie, you know, I'd appreciate it, and I, and I imagine fans of UC Irvine might appreciate it if Dave Niffen maybe was a li- little less philosophical about the setter position. He's got three setters. He's playing them all at different points. I've never seen a team in recent memory play so many different players. What is going on? Yeah, you know, I, I know that the, uh, the philosophy is more getting the experience that they need, but you know, right now at this midpoint of the season, Irvine has seen everyone except for Long Beach State, and I think every, every team has seen a different lineup in one way or another. And you know, uh, looking at you know, who played this weekend, it is uh, Roberto Frazzoni, the Chilean beach player, who took the, uh, the mantle of the, the setting duties. And you know, it's not like he didn't do badly by any means in one set that you know the team was hitting well over 465 against Stanford in the first set and it just kind of tilled off from there I, I you know just they're looking for consistency and I think the the players are looking to get in a rhythm and there's not really a a, a set 
you know, there's not too good of a connection at this point, obviously, because of the mix-up of the lineups. And I, I can see where, where Niffin wants to get that going for the team so they all have the experience and they make, make the push at the end, assuming they make that push at the end. But, you know, we're, we're coming on, on, you know, do or die time here because we're seeing this, this race tighten up already uh, with a handful of teams still in the, in the run for those eight playoff spots of the, the conference tournament. Yeah, you know, you're going to have to make the playoffs if you're going to make a run. And right now, if it ended today, I, I haven't looked at the current day going into the weekend. UC Irvine was outside of playoff position. And yeah, Michael Zeta, Daniel Stork, and Roberto Frazzoni are the three setters we're talking about. There's been the only place that has had any consistency at all for UC Irvine is the middle with Kevorkin and Marion. They're a tremendous pair. But you guys really have some serious questions about the opposite spot, whether it's Tamir Hirschko, the freshman, or Zach LaCavera, the junior, at that spot, and then the outside hitter. I mean, Connor Hughes has been good as of late. He started slow. But that other spot, I mean, Jeremy Dano is a huge question mark for me. Yeah, I think, you know, it's they have such different tempos. Each of the setters, where they run the offense. And I think trying to get that rhythm with whatever setters on the court has been challenging for Dano. He's, I think he's more of a, a lob ball hitter. So, you know, he's, you know when you come in with, with Saeda, he, hits, he sets more of a flatter ball. And then Frazzoni has that. I, I heard someone refer to it as that the Brazilian uh, wrist flick set that's a little quicker as well. So, you know, having to be, not that I was a skying outside hitter in my career or anything, but trying to adjust to each setter, <laughs> I'd imagine, has to be challenging. Actually, Barney, you could speak into that, being the big boy on the outside for Pep. Yeah, I mean, the angles are different, for, certainly. I only hit a high ball in college, but I just think you have to pick a guy and stick with it. And when it comes to Dano, he, I like the way he plays where he hits the ball high and hard all the time or just hard all the time, and he attacks the ball and the, the kind of intensity that he brings. But you'd think if he was wanting maybe a high ball, he'd be better in service. But his last ace was January 4th, and he has 20-plus errors in that time. I mean, he, he's just not getting it done at that spot, and I, and I see a lot of holes here. Maybe it's because I'm used to international volleyball for so many years and the level and quality of play that exists, but so many of these teams have serious questions at outside hitter, whether it's uh, UC Irvine or USC. And, and there's uh, several teams that I've seen that have some real problems. Cal Baff is also in that list. Well, like, you know, you look at uh, USC, for instance, you have uh, Lucas Yoder, who's just been a phenomenal freshman this year. No, he definitely has his hot streaks, but you can see the youth come in. Uh, you know, a few sets, I, I can't recall off the top of my head, but he definitely cooled off or, or teams just figured out some of his tendencies and they started getting on it. And that's where the experience comes in, where he has, gets that range of shots. You know, I think that, um, you know, it, it's, it's going to be a, a challenge to, to get a solid performance when you don't know what kind of ball is coming to you at the outsides, you know, if, if you have this, this change up the setter you know, at least in Irvine's case, but for, for others, I think it's just more experience because we have younger outside hitters at the pins in the, in the MPSF. <clears throat> Back to the East for a second here, and number 12, Penn State, formerly last number 12, and you guys stay at number 12. You guys defeated Ohio State, defeated Erskine, and also Pfeiffer, Pfeiffer University. Yeah, the Conference Carolinas, I think, so far is over uh, when they've come up in the other conferences. They may have won one or two, and I apologize to them if I missed them. But, you know, again, as much as we uh, – I don't want to say make fun because that's the wrong phrase, but as, as much as we kind of rag on them a little bit for having no-name schools, we've got to remember, all schools started somewhere. And 
we have to be thankful to them for a, for a large reason because they've expanded our, our tournament now to 16. And if the MPSF, you know, we're, we're to ever be uh, happy about something, it's about getting them another chance to get another team into that final four spot. So, you know, it, it, they are no-name schools right now. Somewhere down the line, though, they will be better. Erskine, Erskine's kind of on the way up a little bit. Pfeiffer is my call right now for the championship team for that conference. They're actually not a bad team. They've got a couple of European kids, a couple of Pennsylvania kids. Uh, they've got some good arms, and they've got some decent passing and defense. Their libero, uh, Kevin Eklund, is a pretty good kid from Pennsylvania. Pfeiffer is not bad. And, uh, you know, right now they probably would give Pacific and San Diego and Cal Baptist to run for their money. Yeah, we kind of make fun of some of these teams and where they're at, and all, all that you just said is true, Jay. And one of the interesting arguments I've had recently, and I'm going to have on Wednesday with Al Skates when I do Long Beach State at UCLA, is about the idea of stats. And Al doesn't like to pay attention to anything but conference stats because he says, oh, nothing else matters, just that conference stats matter. But I think Al's holding on to something that's no longer necessarily true. When you have Loyola Chicago ranked at number one, when you have Ball State inside the top 15, you guys, of course, have been a mainstay for years. When you have Ohio State in at 14 and having had a national championship recently, Lewis, who had a national championship and they're ranked 10th, these teams, if you play those teams, and even, even a Harvard or a Princeton right now, those stats matter to me. Because every one of those teams I just named could clobber the last three teams in the MPSF. So if you're going to credit teams in the MPSF with the stats for playing a UC San Diego or a Pacific right now, why are you going to throw out Penn State, Ball State, Loyola Chicago? I don't think you can. And I'm going to have that argument with Al Skates because I think he's holding on to an old myth that there's no good volleyball outside of the MPSF. You know, I think I think that's a valid statement. And, you know, one of the reasons, and I think I mentioned it before on the program, you know, they, they, the way they were trying to create this whole RPI thing for the conferences, the old school, and I, and I say old school, meaning just the, the old way the NCAA was trying to expand to six teams, they were going to have this plan match. We talked about that. And, and I thought it was kind of funny and ironic that the MPSF coaches that we talked to automatically assumed that they were going to be the number one conference and that they were not going to have to worry about anything. And when they found out that they were the second and very closely the, almost the third-ranked RPI, they didn't understand. and they, they thought we were joking. But when you look at the top seven or eight teams, right now they're five and four. You know, the top, top two or three teams are eight and one, six, seven and one, and six and two. All right, that, that's pretty good, right? You've got BYU, UCLA, and Pepperdine. But you look at the bottom three or four teams – 0 and 10, 1 and 7, 2 and 6, and 3 and 5. Now, those are the teams that are holding your conference back in terms of its overall RPI. And I, I, I don't buy into the subscription or to the to the statement that any of those teams in the MPSF can beat all the other teams in the country just because they're in the in the MPSF. That's an unfair statement, and it's not true. Uh, we've seen recently Harvard's gone in and beaten Northridge. We've seen that. Uh, Princeton's gone in, they've beaten San Diego, and they've beaten Santa Barbara. And look at Santa Barbara now. And so you, you, that's an old-school mentality for Al to have, and maybe back in the day it had some validity, and, and, and probably rightfully so. But nowadays with things expanding and more teams getting noticed and programs you know, sprouting up and, and kids getting opportunities, that stuff's starting to even itself out. Now, I will give this to Al, and I, and, and I think anybody on the program would agree Top to bottom, the MPSF is probably still the most, A, recognizable without doubt, but B, that, that's probably the strongest top to bottom. 
but it's really starting to even out, and the rest of the country is catching up. In the MIBA right now, there's probably four teams in that conference that can compete in the MPSF, maybe not win it, but maybe they're in the top three or four. And in the EIBA, the top two or three teams in that conference right now, they're going to be just as good as the, as the MPSF top half. And right now, Conference Carolina, not so much. But the top team or two down there is probably going to beat the bottom teams in the MPSF right now. So that's, that's where it's going. And it's really exciting to see. And, you know, I hear the MPSF honks and read them on Volley Talk all the time, and they always rag on everybody else. And, oh, we don't, you know, we couldn't compare. And that's absolutely false. Because if you look at over the years, the records of the teams that travel, the teams that travel – their record's not nearly as good as their record at home, and that goes for, true for a lot of teams that make that travel uh, schedule. Yeah, you're right. It's going to take a little while for Conference Carolinas to step up and, and get past that myth, but they're going, they're going to have to pick up some athletes and pick up some wins <laughs> somehow. And, and, until, and, and, and rightfully so. And until then, you know, we've got to get past, and I, and I find myself catching myself too, we've got to get past this, oh, it's just Pfeiffer, oh, it's just Erskine, oh, who is Lise McRae? It's it's funny, and I get it, but we've got to give those programs the respect that they deserve and that they are starting to do something that everybody else in the country wanted to do for a long time, but they're the ones that figured it out. The other conferences in the country, you know, it, you look at those schools and you say, yeah, they're no-name schools, but what they're doing is they're creating a blueprint. They're creating a map, an idea for ADs across the country to look at and say, why can't we do that? I'm still baffled to this day why University of San Diego does not have a MEDS program. I'm still baffled at University of San Francisco. I know Santa Clara is starting to think about it. Those schools, they're smart. They don't have football. Maybe San Diego does. But the other two, look at what they're doing and see how they're able to accomplish that, both, both with their title line issues and with the finances, and figure it out because those schools could be good tomorrow. And if the MTSF broke off into two conferences, there's just more opportunity. And because we have eight possible schools that can go to this Final Four, they have six now, but there can be eight without any shifting of how that thing is set up. I'm, I'm telling you, the, the, the ADs there have got to start waking up and seeing there's an opportunity for them to be good in a hurry and to start something brand new. So, uh, you know, I, my hat's off to the Conference Carolinas. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to make it an effort not to, I want to say degrade, but I don't want to, I don't want to belittle them any more than, than we already have. They've, they've earned a spot on the table, and they deserve to have that shot. Yeah, Jay, that's, that's a great statement because you know, we're seeing some volleyball talent come from different club areas, like from the Pacific Northwest with Matt West. You have Murphy Troy coming from that St. Louis area. You've got a bunch of people like Andy Benish and Jeremy Dano coming from that Midwest area. And, of course, some, awesome. some guys from the Florida area as well. And, you know, if those schools tap into those talents in those areas, I mean, it's, this yeah. could be a great competition across the board of the USA. That's absolutely true. And right now what's happening is that they're starting to scramble to find kids, the, the lower-tier kids that maybe didn't get the offers from the big-time schools that they wanted. So they're, get, they're picking up on those kids. You know, these are all kids that maybe could walk on to some of the low-end, you know, MPS sub schools. But what they're also doing is they're going down to Puerto Rico. They're also going to Europe. And they're finding kids all over the place that want a chance. The junior college teams, I mean, Kevin, you and I can vouch for this because we both came from that system. Those kids could go right now, the top 15 kids in that whole thing could go right now and turn those programs into programs that you need to look for uh, because they're, they're good, battle-tested kids. And Division Two is now going to become the bastion, it, well, I don't want to say that, they're, they're going to become 
the place, that, the destination of choice because they're going to have scholarship money. And a lot of those teams, for any of the kids or the coaches that are listening, a lot of those teams in the Conference Carolinas are giving four and a half scholarships. There's some MTSF teams that just until this year didn't have four and a half scholarships. And San Diego still doesn't have that much. So there's going to be some shift here, and it's going to happen. And, and I say, you know, good on you, mate, for bringing that stuff on. I'm glad that they came in and hopefully some other conferences start to take notice and see that they can become a part of that thing too. And there can be more coaching opportunities for men to go off. Instead of going to the dark side, they can now go stay in the men's game and continue to do good things. So it's a win-win-win like situation. I like the passion. And uh, here we have, I was just looking at the list, the final list, the top 15 for women, the last poll that they had back in December after the final four. And going through the list of teams there, what if Florida, Nebraska, Texas, Georgia, Missouri, Wisconsin, Washington, Purdue, USD, Minnesota, FSU, that's Florida State, (laughs) Michigan State, Michigan. What if they all had men's programs? You're talking about places where they have all the infrastructure necessary. To add a men's program is almost as as close to a $0 affair as you can get to with adding a sport because you own the equipment, you own the gym space, you own everything that's necessary. It's only going to be a couple hundred grand, which for these places is is very little money. Very little money when it comes to adding a sport. The only obstacle is going to be your ratios, and we're not going to get in a Title IX now, but that's the only obstacle. With just that... Yeah, let's let Katie stood up when you we're said gonna, Title Nine. She's like, "Really? It's go time?" We're, no, we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> stiff arm that because I, I don't really want I don't want to get into that argument because the support for the men's side of the game is strong in the women's side, with the athletes, with the coaches, with the people. Yeah. Yep. That's yep. that's what it, yep. it's it's the institutional and all this stuff that's outside of our sport. That's the problem. Yep. But the what if of all these te- all these places starting teams where it would take basically zero dollars in because you're talking about giant athletic departments they spend two hundred grand on crackers <laughs> or napkins the women's team should be in there lobbying for it because it's just a different ball game when you're at a school where there's a men's and a women's team it would make them yeah. stronger absolutely it would make oh, and absolutely that's what they take a look. What was, what was the stat I heard, and, and Barney, maybe you can verify this because you're in front of a computer. You look at the teams that have won a national championship on the women's side, there have only been a couple or a few that do not have a men's varsity program in their school. Secondly, the teams that make the final four, there's like a, almost a 50 or 60% of them have men's varsity programs at their school. I mean, if you're a women's coach and you are, let's say, um, I'll, I'll go with, uh, with Florida, Who's, who's made to the finals once but needs that extra push. If you are Michigan, who's been to the final four and maybe needs that extra push, if you're Illinois, you should be looking at your AD going, look, if you want us to just be successful and graduate our kids and go through, hey, that's great. We can accomplish that. But if you're, in, if you're really looking to win a national championship and put this place on the map, start a men's team. And then your coaches can start to, to look at each other and give each other information. Those guys are all looking to the men's side. When it comes to the, to the, uh, the convention that goes on every year, the, the most talked about and most attended uh, seminars are usually, not all the time, but usually a male coach or a coach that wasn't a men's side that played, or somebody that's bringing in something that the men's teams have already been doing for a long time. And the coaches are eating it up because they know that this is what the next level is going to look like for their women's team. I mean, it's just a no-brainer. And so, yeah, I agree with you. You look at that list that you gave, 
man, a lot of those teams could really be good in a hurry. And you look at the two schools that just came into the Big Ten, Maryland and uh, in Rutgers, New Brunswick. Rutgers, New Brunswick could be good because there's lots of great junior boys clubs in that area. But Maryland is also going to be good. And Steve Ayers, who played on the men's team at Penn State, was one of the, the staff for the last few years with, with Russ. He's looking at it going, man, we could be good in a hurry or two if we brought a men's team here. And granted, they've got to bring some women's sports back to Big Cut. But they're going to come into a windfall of money that they've never had before. Joining the Big Ten is a big deal. And you're going to come into some money that you're going to look around and go, shoot, we never had this availability before to spend, and it's going to be an opportunity for them. The rest of the schools in the country have got to step up. It's an arms race, but it should be an arms race on the other side of the aisle. Here's your stat. Going all the way back to 1981 for women's national championships. There have been 10 schools that have won a championship, only 10. Since 81, of those schools, Texas and Nebraska are the only two, and UOP will get added to this list as of this year, uh, the only two that do not have a men's program currently. Now, we'd have to go back and look at if they had a men's program at the time because you get back into the annals of Pacific winning back in 1986 and 1985, and I think they did have a program, but I'm not certain. Uh, What about Washington? Uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. There's three teams. Yeah, Washington has one also. Yeah. So it's Washington, Nebraska, Texas are the three teams Washington that have won. Washington coached by McLaughlin, who was a USC men's coach. <laughs> Correct. Correct. Yep. Yep. Uh, no, there's there's certainly you know every one of these every one of these teams was coached by a man, and the championship was won by a man, Katie Charles. Yeah. Just uh, just checking because we we haven't had a female coach win it yet. Zing. Just hasn't happened, and that's not me. You know, that's not me, people. That's not, just history. Not a Division One. Just don't hate No, me. not a Division One. There have been. Yeah, in other divisions, but it hasn't happened in D one, and for whatever reason, yeah. and don't tell me it's lack of opportunity now. Oh. It's one of those years. So, anyway, let's, let's get back on track here. Let's get some uh, yep. some picks this week. Stuff you're looking forward to, Robbie. What do you want to watch this week in the world of volleyball? I think I'm going to be checking out that Long Beach State at UC Santa Barbara match on Friday, um, particularly because uh, these are two. If the playoffs were to start today, those teams are right in the middle. And Santa Barbara, and we've been saying his name quite a bit in the last few weeks, Jonas Safe has been yep. really picking it up for the Gauchos. Uh, Long Beach had an off week last week since, you know, took some time off. And so I'm wondering how they're going to come out of this break from competition against a team that's going to be hot. Um, UCSB has really kicked it up on the defensive end blocking-wise, and you could see it in the match um, against Pep, unfortunately for you. <laughs> they just really turned it on at the net and played some serious defense. And uh, <clears throat> with that, they, uh, they're, they're a hot team to watch. And Long Beach State, it's, you know, it's, it's obviously going to be the Taylor Crab Show, but who's going to step up and support him against the Gauchos? That's, that's hot right now. All right, you know, Long Beach State is going to get UCLA before that on Wednesday, so a tough week ahead for the 49ers. And UC Santa Barbara continues to be an enigma. They go out and defeat Pepperdine, then lose to USC, an example of parity. Jay, give me a game. i got a few of them. Uh, I, too, will be watching Long Beach State and Santa Barbara. I'll be watching BYU and Stanford only because it's at Stanford. Uh, and BYU is notoriously, again, not very good uh, on the road. So that could be a good match to watch. Uh, we are going to be playing your favorite team, the New Jersey Institute of Technology, formerly known as Midget. 
Uh, <laughs> they're coming into our town. That's your favorite team. I'm going to be watching Pepperdine at Irvine, but I'm also going to be watching with really, really high anticipation the Battle of the Ivy Leagues, Harvard versus Princeton. It is going to be shown on the Ivy League Network. And so if you are able to watch that, everybody, I highly, highly recommend it. It's going to be a great match. They're both pretty good teams. And uh, there's some nice players on both sides of the net. So I'm going to be watching that one uh, with, with real open eyes. Those are my picks. When is that happening? When is that Ivy League matchup? Oh, when is that match happening? Is it happening on – I think it's happening on Friday, if I'm not mistaken. I apologize. Uh, I don't have a computer in front of me. But please – uh, check it out. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Princeton and Harvard, the battle of the Ivy League. All right, Robbie, what else? What else? you got to like that UCI pep matchup. Find out more about your home squad. Yeah, they actually, Irvine's got a pretty tough week ahead as well. They start off Thursday night against USC at Irvine, and I think there's a, a, a huge week in that they're just trying to get to the 500 mark in the MPSF, and beating USC and Pepperdine at home would, would be a great start to that. Um, you know, I, I, I think that it's going to be uh, – I think Nick's going to go with the best lineup that he has uh, started with, which my guess would be um, right now Saeda setting with, uh, with uh, La Cavera at the opposite. So if he brings that lineup in with the, the mainstays of Kevorkian and Maring and then Brinkley, Libero, Hughes, and Dano at the outsides um, – my guess is it, it should be a pretty hard-fought battle because I, mean, they, I think they're going to be like that wounded dog this week. Uh, or they're going to come out with that mentality to, like, we've got to win this in order to make an impact in this conference if we want to make a push. Uh, so Pepperdine, that's always going to be – that's a tough one because when I saw Irvine at Pepperdine, I just realized that Pepperdine has gotten a lot larger and they've become more consistent, although they did have that upset loss to Santa Barbara, which is fine. I mean, they're a, they're a hot team right now, but Pepperdine is just one of the most uh, physical and defensive teams that I've seen in a while. And it's, it's actually pretty entertaining to watch what Marv is doing with that offense. So with uh, Tarantino swinging the outside every once in a while and Kalmbach coming from middle to the right side hitting opposite and just Josh Taylor, when he goes big, they're really difficult to stop. Nothing you mentioned about Matt West setting. <laughs> you see Irvine no longer the anteaters, now known as the wounded street dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, what a jab right there. You know what wow. that calls for, don't you? That calls for this. <laughs> what was that? I didn't hear it. Oh, you didn't hear it? Hang on, I'll do it again. Oh, food duck. Meal bell. That's a little weak this week. Yeah, the, yeah what like happened a, to like the a bell? bell? Like, I feel like my lunch should be showing up right now. <laughs> Sorry, I'm on an iPhone. It's got bad reception. It's not really <laughs> By the way, the Ivy League battle is on Thursday this week. All right. So look for it on Thursday. That is Harvard. Harvard versus Princeton. Harvard. Smart kids on Thursday night. Marty, I enjoyed your comment on Facebook, by the way, when I was asking Jay about a feed for his match, and you said by the time I found it, it would be over. <laughs> That's because he was, he was playing against McKenna or whatever. <laughs> That's a car company. Gosh dang it, Kevin. McKendry. <laughs> the Volkswagen plug? What? Yeah, McKenna Volkswagen. <laughs> should get a free car for that plug <laughs> alright UC Irvine 4 and 6 in MPSF play we'll see if they can pick it up look forward to those matches I will in fact be at the Long Beach State and UCLA match as well as the BYU at Stanford match on the weekend so I'm looking forward to a week of some solid complete volleyball it should be a lot of fun actually going to be uh, not in the studio for any of those so that should be nice gentlemen thanks always appreciate your knowledge and your passion Jay Hasek 
Lots of fun here on College Football Weekly. Thanks, boys. Absolutely. See you, boys. All right, College Football Weekly comes to an end with Jay and Robbie. Remember to check out those matches, Long Beach State versus UC Santa Barbara, Pepperdine and USC versus UCI, BYU, Stanford, Penn State versus Nidget, Pep and UCI, of course, on Jay's list as well, and then Harvard and Princeton. Good stuff there. Let's take a quick break. We're going to come back, and we're going to get Katie Charles involved here. We're going to, we're going to discuss women's and men's volleyball because we have a female voice here. We need to hear it, Katie. That's not intimidating at all. Hang yourself right now. All job prospects shot after the appearance here on the Net Live. It's all going to be over for you. We'll be right back with just a little bit more Net Live here on a Monday. for their support of the show. Mentioned the, the poll, Loyola Chicago, number one, UCLA, number two, Pepperdine, three, BYU, four, USC stays at number five, Long Beach, six, UC Santa Barbara, seven, Stanford, UC Irvine, and Lewis finishing out the top ten. Others receiving votes, Harvard, IPFW, did not get into that top 15 ranking, but we thank Jay and Robbie for being a part of that, and we thank uh, for being in studio here today, Katie Charles. Katie, <clears throat> I wanted to ask you about female coaches and some of the choices that, that female coaches make. And it's, it's lifestyle choices in many cases. Um, how do you think that affects the career arc of female coaches in, in your experience? Nothing like starting off with an easy question there. Uh, yeah, uh, we'll jump right into it. You've been here for like an hour and a half. so <laughs> True. I mean, I think it all depends. It obviously depends on the person. There's some great female head coaches, there's some great female assistant coaches, and a lot of it, you know, there's great male and fem- or great male head and assistant coaches. It depends on, you know, what your strengths are and building a, a staff around you that can handle everything. I think it's, we put so much on being a male or being a female or, you know, what your choices are. I Better mean, to be a coach. Yeah, just be a coach. And, you know, I think head, female head coaches can be incredibly successful if they have the right people around them and the right supporting roles. And I mean, you look at some of the, the best women in the game, you know, Mary Wise has always been super successful and she manages to 
to balance a life. She's got kids, you know, she's married, she's been able to do it all and had a solid amount of success in Florida. You look at Salima Rockwell, who's chosen to stay as an assistant, and she's outstanding at what she does. And, you know, she's in a position where she's really happy. You know, she's got, you know, kids and family, and she's settled in, and, you know, she could be pretty much anywhere in the country. I'm hearing some rumors. Uh, I've heard some, heard rumors, some well. rumors. I've heard some rumors about Salima Rockwell going to Penn State. Maybe. Should ask Jay about that one. To be in waiting. Be in waiting for Russ Rose. Well, Sublima is the, the personality and the type of person who's going to be successful no matter what she does. I think she'll be a fantastic head coach when she steps into that position, but it's up to her to choose. You know, she's made the choice to be an assistant because it's what she loves to do. Uh, and it's what, you know, she's worked for some great people. She's worked for Russ. She's worked for, you know, Jared Elliott. These are people that she's learning a ton from. And so when she's ready to be a head coach and when she makes that decision, there's going to be schools everywhere that are going to drop everything, whether it's Penn State or somewhere else, to, to get her in that position. Is there a perceived or actual lack of opportunity for women to become head coaches in today's Division One volleyball? Yeah, I think it's more perception than reality. I mean, you hear so many schools that they encourage female applicants. Doesn't It bothers me to hear people say, well, you know, it should be a woman or it should be anything. It should be the best coach for the job regardless, you know, whether that's it's whatever – people around them feel, you know, whatever the department feels, whatever your athletic director feels is best for your program. And then it's up to the person that they hire, male or female, to surround themselves with an outstanding staff that complements them. And a lot of this time, it's knowing your weaknesses. And that's where people run into problems, is they hire friends or they hire people that don't necessarily help them because they don't, uh, you know, make up for whatever deficiency that person might have. Right, hire to your weaknesses. Right. Yeah, you definitely have to do that. One of the interesting things you always hear when, when I host these collegiate or any type of coaching event where they're honoring coaches for their achievements, for their victories, for their longevity, whatever it may be, it's always thank you to my spouse. And that goes both ways. And I say spouse because it's, it's, if it's a female coach, they always thank their husband for supporting the family being there when they couldn't be because it is such an all-encompassing job. Mm-hmm. And when it's a male coach, always they thank their wives for raising the children, <laughs> for being there. I mean, it, 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 the job is no different whether you're a male or a female. Well, the running joke is volleyball widowdom. During the fall, you're never around. <laughs> right. During the spring, you know, depending on your level of support on your program, you might be recruiting every single weekend for three months. You know, And then you're in the gym training your kids, and it's – if you're a significant other and they're the ones that are going to be bearing the brunt of the work, or if you're really lucky, somebody else is in-house to help or, you know, parents or somebody that can be around. But this job isn't, it's not a job, it's a lifestyle choice. And that's really hard for people mm. to make. And that's a lot of reason that keeps people out of this. It's, it's a lot of time. You've got to be willing to work 13 or 14 hours. And we can debate whether that's a good thing or a bad thing or whether our sport is becoming like football or basketball. But at the same time, I think it's, it's what you put into it. You know, there's an, there was an initiative at Division Three to add a recruiting calendar and to, to cut down on the number of hours that we could recruit. And the resounding cry from every coach there was, you know, if we have the time to do it and we choose to do it, let us do it. We want to be able out there to help our programs and to do more. Yeah, yeah, that's a 24-year-old speaking. I'm not that young, <laughs> but I mean. No, but that mentality—that person who doesn't have a family, doesn't have other obligations. But a lot of a the, lot of the veteran coaches we talk to would like to see things cut back, but you can't because it's an arms race, right? Right, right now, you can't cut back because well, somebody the, else won't. 
touched on this the other week when you're saying you right. can't talk to kids before they're juniors and things along those lines. People will find a way around it. That's why. What way things. around it is if it's cut and dried? If it's black and white, any contact through anyone or otherwise with the child. How are you going to monitor that? How do, how, they, monitor how how do they monitor it now? Yeah, they don't monitor You don't monitor that's anything that's now, that's that's but it's gray. Your are already out of this world swamped because of all the rules that they have to know. That's because it's gray. That's what I'm saying. Yes, they're swamped because it's gray. Yeah, It'd be very they... simple. You would have a yes and a no stamp. <laughs> <laughs> so a kid comes summer camp. A naughty camp. and nice. It looks that's like a Santa list, you know? Right. <laughs> so a kid comes summer camp as a sophomore decides, I want to come to your school. That's, like, where it got, do do that's where it got more complex. I, <laughs> I know. We, we like had some problems. Dry. We had some problems with that, uh, that particular plan. It was all <laughs> laid out. It was all simple. We had a plan. Reminded me of John Hyden in a meeting with uh, USA Volleyball and the AVP years ago going, we sent you an email. We sent you a letter. We had a plan. It was done. Like, John, you sent one email. There's no plan done. That's not how business works, buddy. <laughs> it's not like you making a decision to train today or not or change your trainer today. You know, that's, it's, it, it never it works that way. It's gray, man. It's Correct. gray. And there's lots of people with influence. I remember uh, an organization that we once aired some support for here on the program. It was started by a friend of the show, Matt Boyce. It was called Battered Spouses of Club Volleyball. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and and I think there should be a battered spouses of head coaches. Well, period. it's not just head coaches. The assistant coaches are spending a lot of time out on the road. Or just working. battered spouses of volleyball. There you go. The sport of volleyball has abused their spouse. Good dinner. No, I was just waiting for. I thought there was going to be another punchline from that. No, sorry. I, I only looking at me. I only, the guy I only had time to write one. Gotcha. Um, and I read it off the sheet, and then I was done. But. Uh, Katie, what about the, what's the chatter with female coaches around the nation as it relates to volleyball, to opportunity, to to making those lifestyle choices? One of the choices we so often hear about, whether it be volleyball or any other profession, when you're reading about gender issues, is the choice that female uh, females, not coaches, not volleyball people in particular, but certainly including them, females make to have a family, to take a step back, to want to be with their children more often, not to have a job, whether it be head coaching or high-powered Wall Street job or anything that requires the number of hours that earning those high dollars does, they make that choice. They give up the dollars in favor of other pursuits. And so it's always a favorite of the media to say, oh, women, they earn less for the same jobs. But lost in that many times is a lack of experience because they were gone for 10 years. Is that – how does that – does that get talked about? Hmm. Hmm. Well, I mean, do make less for the same jobs as men. It has nothing to do with the experience. If you look at any kind of comparison, there's been tons of articles out recently about that kind of stuff. I don't think that has as much to do with the coaching world as, you know, they offer women's coaches less money. That's just what there is. Too. They do. Absolutely. Really? Absolutely. Why? Women's sports in general. If you look at a men's basketball coach or a women's basketball coach. If you look women's sure. basketball coaches don't deserve to be paid as much as men's basketball coaches. End of story. And I am leaving. <laughs> <laughs> End of story. I mean, there, No, there, there's no argument there. Why? The men's basketball programs bring in more revenue, more advertising, more, and it's not a revenue thing. They're higher profile than women's sport. There are more people in the stands for a men's basketball game than there are for a women's basketball game at 90% of the situations you can come up with. You can come up with some outlier. That's fine. But 90%, there are more people, fans, paying attention to the men's game than the women's. End of story. 
those are just numbers, and you could, you could collate them however you want. You're not going to be able to get it to add up that the women's programs are more popular than the men's programs on any sort of large basis. And when it comes to paying athletes in that discussion, men's volleyball is, is in that list of sports that will never get paid. It doesn't mean I don't think football and basketball should get paid. But there's, there's no way women's and men's basketball are remotely comparable. Well, let's even take that off the table. If you look at women's volleyball, on average, men are offered more in their initial contracts than women are. Okay, now that, a that's a discussion I, I'm more interested in having. Like a, a male coaching a women's team in a, in a or Now that, a I'd want to know why, team, yeah, that why they're not getting it. Yeah. I yeah. have no answer to why that happens, but it does. Are we talking about of comparable experience? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, then that's an issue. Yeah, no, that, that strikes me as strange. Title IX. So I just thought I'd throw it out there. So just, just, just say it. Just thought I'd say just it. Just, that, yeah, just see what happens. We, need to have, we actually need to have the Title IX show at some point. You know that. There's a couple people you I'm sick of that. Well, I'm sick of But that to day. get back to the heart of it, like women's coaches, and you're asking what are we doing, like there's a lot of support groups out there. At convention, there's a group that meet. Um, Cecile Renaud, who mm-hmm. has done a ton of I know of Cecile. Us. You know, she's a, a huge advocate, um, you know, for women in coaching and having basically a support group available to women's coaches so that we can, you know, talk to each other and network and um, be able to kind of share those things. The last couple of years, they've done things, especially during convention where they've talked about how to balance, you know, work life. They had um, Kathy George from Michigan state on talking and they had, you know, a couple of other coaches that, you know, Mary Wise talked. Is there any difference in the ability of women to manage a team atmosphere because men and women are different, by and large. There are always those that are outliers or lot, and lots of crossover in, in attitude. And, and I'm not talking about ability. I'm talking about the, the mental side of things, the, the side of managing people in a team situation. I think men are better delegators and are probably more willing to give things out. Women would prefer to do it themselves so that they have more control over the situation, I think, a lot of the time. Hmm. And does that affect, because the job has become so big, mm-hmm. it, being a head coach of any major Division One sport is incredibly challenging. Does that make it less likely to have a woman get hired? That, that, that thing you just spoke about, the, the, the lack of delegation. Well, again, it comes back to who do they bring with them and who is supporting them. Is there somebody there saying, hey, you need to make sure you give us more stuff or you know, they have the ability to, to take pressure off of the head coach? Then I think you have no problem there. But again, it becomes can you form a staff that is a good supporting staff? Are you doing the right things there? Yeah, because you're forming a team that manages a team. Correct. So now you're actually managing two teams, and we talked about that with Karch on the women's side of the national team, and I said, I'm interested to see how he manages not only the athletes and that team, but how he manages his team, his coaching team. I thought that was going to be interesting. Because yeah. you, as the head coach, you're really, you're really the captain for two different groups. Yeah, I, I, I think men and women are different, and I think that many times when you delve into this subject – People want to get very upset about certain statements or get very upset when you start to separate the sexes. And I said before, you know, I'm sorry, Gloria Steinem. I'm sorry. We're different. Men and women are different just by nature. We are different animals. And yes, of course, of course, Doesn't there's a woman. weird coming from Kevin? Like if I said it, everybody would be like, yeah, Jeremy, we agree. But when Kevin says it, they're like, I hate him. Of course, <laughs> of course there's a woman who handles everything just like a man, and she's the head of a Fortune 500 company, or, or she's uh, you know, doing this. Or or do, she, of course. Does she there, handle it like a man, or does she handle it like she handles it? We, there, we so try to break it down into gender it. thing, yeah. and I not know. necessarily a bi-person thing. Yeah. It is, it's it is it's a, an individualized thing. It's, 
the people that you find at the top of any profession are remarkably similar. The people, not the gender. The people that are there. If there are chicks that function like dudes, that happens. Yeah, but are they? There are dudes that function like chicks. Who knows? It happens. But are they functioning like dudes, or are they just functioning in a way that allows them to be really successful? Like that particular A-type personality. Yeah. Doesn't mean it's doesn't mean it's a dude thing, or it's oh she's acting like a guy. That's why she's the head of that company. She's using successful traits and being good at them. They're not male-dominated traits. Correct. We may think that way simply because it's been ingrained in us for so long, but that doesn't necessarily mean those traits are male traits. It's it's successful traits. No, but I think you said it there, male-dominated traits, because I think we can agree that there are certain traits that are more prevalent in men and, and, more, and less prevalent in women and vice versa. If you take the average. Just because of society. Just, just because we're different. We're, but we're made differently. I saw, I women blow more ACLs than men. That's just a true. That's I don't true, know why that would be, but... Because our knees don't sit well. That's well, whatever, but, but that's true. Okay. If you go through a women's roster of 12 players, you will find six or eight ACLs. If you go through a, a, a roster of 12 men, you might find one. It's probably like a point three, mm. on, in total. You know, it, it's just the way it is. And with traits, both physical and mental makeup, we're just different. April Ross, I think, I think she retweeted this, but it was an interesting quote. It said, uh, I hope one day... Like it was somebody talking to a kid, like hoping that you don't refer to this kid as bossy as opposed to dis- displaying leadership skills of a, right. of, a, right. of a girl. I was right. like, oh, interesting. Very interesting. No, and, and to Katie's point, it should be a discussion about traits, not male or female. But it inevitably devolves to that because you have that trait is more prevalent with males or females. What, I'm, what I was trying to say in that one is for so many years, we've assumed they're male-dominated traits because that's the people that we saw who had those traits, if that makes sense. So the top of That's the who you saw in those positions, met. yeah. But that doesn't mean there were women that didn't have it then or right. never had that trait. It doesn't Correct. mean it's a male trait. It just means that the people that we saw the most that were the most visible had that trait. They were male. Yeah. Well, like playing sports. Yeah. We've said this. Uh, like playing sports. <laughs> and we're on. There's, there's, no oppor- there's no lack of opportunity for women to play sports mm-hmm. at the youth level. Zero. Zero lack of opportunity. From the time they're four through high school. None. There's no difference. If you are a female athlete who wishes to play something, you can play it. Exactly. Even football nowadays. If you're a kicker. <laughs> but but wasn't saying that I feel that way. I'm just saying that that's how they always end up being. I haven't seen a female middle linebacker that can measure up yet. I have met one. I played, against, I played basketball against her in high school. She played on the men's football team, and she was terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. So there's your outlier. Right. Uh, but... Where's I going with this? Sorry, I threw you <laughs> off. Yeah. Um, Same opportunity when they're young. Yeah. Yeah. They, there's they no just la- participate differently. They, that's where you're they going choose not it. to. Yeah, that's where you're going with it. And if you hold an open tryout at UCLA for men's volleyball, you will get a hundred guys that think they can make that team, that want to be on that team, that want to spend their time practicing and being a part of that team. Mm-hmm. If you hold the same tryout for women, you will get another 15 girls. What? Or young women. Somebody, I think this is actually a volleyball talk thing. 15. I was reading. People were talking oh, about how talk. men all think they're good at everything. Yes. <laughs> they've been told their whole lives that they're good at everything. Oh, for sure. And that they have they have the confidence. So many women don't have that necessarily that confidence. Yeah, but but it's it, the assumption then is that society hasn't imbued that in women. Society oh, hasn't true. hasn't hasn't offered them an opportunity and filled them with the the love and the oh, nurturing necessary. I don't think it's that. I think it's bullcrap. I don't think so either. I don't think they're hardwired to be that way. 
My boys fight like a couple of animals because they're hardwired that way. <laughs> and, also because you're, and, I. and also because you're dangling raw meat between their two rooms in the morning. We don't fight feed for breakfast, kids. <laughs> I mean, not feeding is a whole other issue. <laughs> but but we, we've talked about on the show about a men's basketball team. Twelve of those guys think they're going to the NBA. Mm-hmm. A women's basketball team. One thinks they're going to the WNBA. Or two. Because they have a more realistic view. And I'm saying that the men are completely off the rocker. Well, and you see women, like, when they're playing sports at the younger level, when they're not good, they stop playing. When yeah. guys aren't good, they're like, I'm totally able to keep making this team. <laughs> exactly. Like Kevin's Church League, they all think they can play for the national team. The thing is, when we talk about sports, sports is something that, for whatever reason, attracts men. Well, the other thing you look at is women may take <laughs> He's reading the chat. I'm sorry, Coach Lewis said Kevin has been told he's good at identifying music. (laughs) (laughs) I consistently get negative feedback on that. (laughs) But what I'm saying is women may take the realistic view of, I'm not very good at this. Maybe I'll find something else I like better. And we ding them for not being competitive enough or not wanting to do it or not sticking with it longer. Oh, you're not competitive enough. You quit sports. Well, maybe I wasn't good at it. I want to go sing or I want to do plays. And then we say, oh, look, women stop playing. When Maybe they're too smart. <laughs> We're too stupid. Well, let's be real here. <laughs> and that's the, that's the thing. Like, we stand there and tell them, oh, look, these women all drop off. They don't want to play. Well, maybe the writing was on the wall for them. They said, you know what? I'm not very good at this. Maybe I'll find something I'm passionate about that I am good at. And okay. they'll keep looking until they find it, where men are like, I'm good at this, and that's all there is. But they still don't want to play. And men, in spite of maybe some of them knowing they're not that good, still seek out the opportunity to play. When was but the last time you saw a, a women's pickup game happen at the park? I see women playing it. They play. When was the last time you saw an all-women's pickup game happening at the park? Why does it matter? Why is that important? If women want to play, they'll no, go out there and find a way to play. We're pointing out the differences. Right. So a woman wants does, to play, does, they, does it have to be an all-women's game? How That's many, the question. No, but, but They go out there and find a way to play. They go play with the men. What difference does it make? No, I, I'm totally in favor of that. That's not that my point. Do. That's not my point. I'm totally in favor of that. Actually, that's entirely the point. You're saying just no. because there's no all-women's pickup game, then clearly women don't seek out opportunities. That's no. not true. Women who, who, women who want to play seek out the opportunity by going and playing with the guys. <laughs> no, what I'm saying is because the example that there is never a all-women's pickup game, you can go by any park in the United States, anywhere, anytime, any day, you will never find a five-on-five women's game happening that just happened. I know you're going with this, but you're not getting your point across. Not even a little. I know what you're trying to say. Hold on. I'm <laughs> getting there. Uh-huh. You people are all freaking out before I get there. I'm not freaking out. I know you, so I know where you're going with it. There will be men's games everywhere, and there will be women participating. You can go to almost any park, and you will find one or two women who will be playing, sometimes more. But it happens. It does not happen that a young girl, a middle-aged woman, a young woman decides to take their ball and drive or walk or ride their bicycle down to the park and go play a pickup game. That does not happen in nearly the same numbers as it does with men. For whatever reason, men seek that out and need that as part of their self-fulfillment, as part of their day, as part of their belief in themselves, whatever it may be, where women, to your point, Katie, are seeking out other things to find value in for themselves, their families, their, their friends, and activities. They don't seek out sports over a lifetime the way men do. For whatever reason, sports fits the mentality of a guy more often than a woman. 
She still wants to shank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being surprisingly calm over here. Now, we're talking about basketball. I think volleyball, you'd find a lot of all-female pickup games more than men. Well, it's funny because somebody just mentioned that. Interestingly, yeah, I think there. you find there's certain sports that attract the women mentality. Like, we like to be part of a group. The worst thing you could ever do to a female is single her out of the group and have everybody else be doing something while she has to watch. That's one of the things that, you know, as coaches, like, if you want the team to really get something across, you pull the kid who's not doing something out and make everybody else punish for them. Interesting. Women will respond huh. immediately. Men don't respond to that. They don't. Our, my first year of college coaching, I coached a men's team, and it was like they could flip out on each other. Five minutes later, everybody was fine. They're fine. The yeah. women's team. She said a year ago she didn't like me, <laughs> and I can't play next to her now. Like that was the kind of thing. So you have to be. It's it's an inclusion thing. Where it's <laughs> exclusive. So funny. Interesting. Men's I mean, coaches, any coaches of women athletes, you always get them in the middle of the season. They've got some drama going on, oh, for sure. and they're like, God, guys would not do this. Guys would like punch each other and it would be over Five or whatever. Later, it's fine. But, but girls, it goes on forever. Seek out sports with that mentality. Look at volleyball. It's such mm-hmm. a teamwork oriented sport. Mm-hmm. You can't do it on your own. There, it's you can be a star, but reality is you can't do anything without the rest of the group. Yes. You look at you know basketball is not that way. You know they might play tennis or things along those lines where it's more of an inclusive sport where they they want to be doing something in a team setting. You're going to find a lot more people. Women are drawn more to those kind of sports. That's why you're seeing such a surge in those kind of things. It's just a different mentality. Is that's what we enjoy being around. That's a competitive environment women enjoy being in. Again, it's not a good or a bad thing. It's not a men versus women. It's what we excel at and where you're, where you're excited about things. Thank you. It's just different. And I think in the discussion about the differences, it too often evolves into the need for equality or the simplicity of 50-50, the simplicity of uh, we need to have all the same for everybody. And my point is not how life is. Equality isn't about <clears throat> fairness. Have you ever seen that... Uh, the meme on Facebook where it's the person, the tall person is standing on the big box and the other person, equality is everybody standing on the same size box and one person can't see over the fence. Or equality is oh, nice. the tall person on the short box, the medium sized box, and the tall box. So everybody can see over. You know, it's, it's a matter of finding where things level out so everybody's there. It's not necessarily making sure everybody has the same thing. Right. No, it's, uh, it, it's a discussion that I think too often devolves quickly. And people start yelling. So we do it here well, on the show. Well, because I think fun. before you get to your point, like you were doing, people hear certain words that come out of your mouth, Kevin, and they immediately <laughs> react to, oh, he's being negative about it. You know what I'm saying? Because right, they're right. Like, oh, should I be offended? He said not all girls like this, so I should be offended. Where well, they haven't listened to the point completely yet. And I think that's why sometimes the conversations don't happen because people immediately jump to the conclusion that you're being negative about, not you in particular, just well, whomever. Maybe you in particular. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, people just immediately get defensive about it. I hate female athletes. Yeah. I hate female sports. Right. I mean, that, that's where people go with it immediately. Is if you're starting to say anything that doesn't support women's sports, you hate them. No, I don't hate them. Yeah. I, I like, particularly women's volleyball, I like a lot. I, I think it's a sport that they play well, women. I, I think they play it extremely well. And it's far different than the men's game. But it, it, it's an enjoyable product to watch. Women's tennis, an enjoyable product to watch. Um, I think they play it well. Uh, basketball, I find hard to watch on the female side of things. Um, I, I, for whatever reason, that's a harder product for me to enjoy. Because uh, they don't play the same way the guys do. Well, yeah, and it's, it, it's kind of become this power-based sport. It's like football. You can't watch women play football. It's just, it, it, it's like everything's going, well, yeah, that'd be different. <laughs> but everything's going a little bit slower. Like, I mean, the Olympic Games, I watch a ton. I watch downhill. I watch slope style. I watch 
a ton of women's biathlon and shooting. I, I'll watch a ton of women's men's sports. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to me uh, be, because it's about is it fun to watch. There are men's sports. It's not fun to watch men play because they're not very good at it. I mean, it, it, I don't know. It's just it's different preferences for different people. I don't enjoy watching some games. Yeah, it's fine. And, no. it, and it's not a gender bias. I'm like, oh, those are women. Uh, I don't want to watch them. <laughs> no, it's just sometimes I don't think it's a very good game. Um, women's collegiate volleyball, I think, is a tremendous game. It's completely different than men's. I, I think women's is more intriguing at times. It frustrates me at times because people are not hitting the ball. Like, please, would you take an approach and take a whack at the ball <laughs> instead of tipping the thing for the fifth time? But in the men's game, I get upset because it's service errors, so many service errors, and guys just wailing on it. It's pass, set, crush, and that's pretty much how the whole match goes from point one to the end. There's not enough strategy in it where the women's game, you take just enough speed off the ball, and they're tremendous defenders and very instinctual defenders, and you get a lot of really long rallies with some permutations and more interesting things happen over the course of a match than in the men's game. Well, that's why they talked about, I think we were talking about last week, when they shortened the court for beach, they thought it would give more rallies, which it did a little bit, but then it just brought in bigger players. So you still, especially on the men's side, it's serve, bump, set, spike. You know, there's not, there aren't a lot of rallies on the men's side. It's like, I'm going to tee off and hit as hard as I can, most likely. Um, Where on the women's side, you definitely see a lot more rallies. Yeah, that's why I like the men's game when it gets to the beach six-man. And it's a fun game to watch. The last day of six-man, when everybody's not drunk, is is really fun to watch. Because you have high-level athletes playing, and you have the ball going just slow enough that you can make those digs. You can make those plays. Yeah. And, and with the six people out there, you now have the creativity of the indoors and the interesting options of indoors, the permutations of play yeah. that you don't have with two-person beach. Correct. And the ball is now slowed down, so you have guys diving into the crowd. You have amazing sets. and amazing, I, I think that's a, a really fun game to watch is six-man beach. I think it's better from a fan perspective than six-man indoor or two-man beach. Well, you're also right next to the court, and you're drinking, as opposed to when Reed was playing at the uh, Pyramid, I wasn't painted up or wearing a bear costume with my OP shorts on and a mustache while Reed was siding out. OP shorts under a bear costume. Anything else? (laughs) Or just no shirt? Like the Russian speed skater? Yeah. All right. I think we've, uh, we've had a good time. We finished strong on this show. Katie will never be here again. Thanks for coming today, Kitty. I've <laughs> insulted her, driven her away. <laughs> I want to thank Rob on the mic. I want to thank uh, Jay Hasek for calling in. Thanks to John Sujo for hanging with us through our early technical issues and being a part of this show. And, of course, I want to thank Katie Charles for making the 45-minute drive, even though it's only 13 miles, down from the Pacific Palisades the down here. 405. The 405. Get used to that. Guys in Colorado make fun of me because I call it the 25. They're like, don't worry, I got the PCH, the 10, and the 405 on my way down. Nice. The Californian. (laughs) (laughs) Katie, what are you doing here? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks to AVCA for their support of this program as well as Volleyball Magazine for hosting our show. Katie, I'll have to bring you back another time. Sounds good. Thanks for sitting on the couch here in the home court. Kevin bought this specifically for guests because it's nice and comfortable. I'm working on, I'm working on the NetLive version 2.0. It involves rebuilding my garage, but it's going to be good. Can we make the garage a cat-free zone? Yep. Sweet. 100% cat-free. Awesome. (laughs) Thanks for being here. Uh, Next week, Tuesday, we're not doing a President's Day show. 
We don't work holidays here at the we, NetLife. We don't work holidays because there are children in the house and it just never turns <laughs> out well. We once had somebody shout penis. It was fun. <laughs> that was actually great. <laughs> he hit me in the penis. <laughs> <laughs> now that wouldn't happen with a couple of girls in the house. <laughs> and you know why, Kevin? Because they don't have penis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. You're welcome, everybody. We're off the rails. We'll, we will see you next week with the Net Live, either a new live show or one of our famous re-airs from our last five complete years of this program, an archive like there has never been for the sport of volleyball. We'll continue to try and bring you the best from all over the game. The Net Live, back next week. Thanks for being here, everybody. <laughs>